Reveille, Reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Oh, friggin' yeah. No, hey, no, no, no gross French voice today, okay? But get fired up just the same. It's back, and it's the best... Uh, Best selling? Well, it's free. I'll tell you what, it's the best damn combat sports show they ever created. The one you've been waiting on. Well, it's here and it's in your face hole. It's Friday, July 14th, 2023. Not a great, not a great combat sports weekend ahead of us, but your boys right here are going to show you what the UBL, the upper bound limits of 240-something dads can be getting you excited, entertaining you just the same. Welcome on in. I'm the BBC with that BDE, the beige one, the American Alpha, Brian Campbell. You're here, though, for the guy next to me, right? He's cantankerous, right? He's uh, he's a lot of things, but he's the best damn analyst today, Luke mm. Thomas. Yes. Yes. I'm definitely not, but I have hair that just keeps getting bigger, apparently. So yes. there you go. Look, you put the A-N-A-L in analyst. <laughs> so I had a friend in high school who on, did you ever have to wrap your tech, your textbooks in high school and then like return them in like a reasonably similar condition? Yeah. So he would wrap them and then, you know, let's say it was like, I don't know, trigonometry analysis or whatever. He would write anal in big words like big ass letters and then have Y S I S and like the smallest letters oh, yeah. possible. And uh, the teachers did not like that. As you can well imagine. He's probably the son of the same genius Luke who invented those Cox hats. Remember the white, the game hats in the nineties, the university of South Carolina Cox baby, right? I mean, actually, that was... this, this will blow you away. He actually works for the Navy uh, on jet propulsion. Oh wow! Um, he actually is actually really smart. <laughs> In the Navy, so. I'm sure they propulse there, Luke. We got a decent show coming your way. Okay, bet. Look at the biggest topic, setting the stage, of course, for that much-anticipated UFC fight night this Saturday in the damn oh, Apex. Yeah. Showtime Championship Boxing, a few other scattered lingerers. And how about this, Luke Thomas? In addition to standing trial for dead wrong today, you and I are going to go head-to-head -head in sort of a Discord MMA trivia. But, Luke, I got I to gotta ask you now. We didn't do this pre-show probably because you were tearing porcelain like a humanized version of Angry Birds. Luke, what are the stakes today in our head-to-head -head trivia? I believe it's 14 questions. Whoever gets the most right will be asked the same questions here. What does the other one have to do? Uh, I actually don't know the answer to that. I thought we were just doing it for fun. Is there I more don't do the anything. Story? For fun, Luke. That's why I almost get myself punched in basketball games. What about? Uh, here's what I want for your for your punishment. If you lose, you should have to do the entirety of Monday's MK episode in that same Fred Durst red Yankees hat that that one random day on that mailbag you pulled out because your hair was too too puffed up. And you're like, you know what would be cool? Let me dial back to 1998 and put on this uh, colored so, Yankees hat. You know. So first of all, it wasn't red. It was black. It was black on black. I know that because I got it at a uh, Lids in Cartagena, Colombia. Did you get it at a swap meet, Lou? No, no, no. I got, it at a, I got it at a Lids in downtown Cartagena, Colombia. That's a true story. I actually gave that hat to my dad. So the only hat that I have is the old school Washington Nationals when they had the DC logo, not the curly W, which I fucking not hate. Enough. 
It's not enough, Luke. Well, what do you, you want me to do? Skin? I mean, first you of all, me- you're going to lose, just so you know. That, just so that's very clear, you're going to lose. But what is it? What fantasy of losing would you like me to entertain for the purposes of this game? Well, By the way, look, DC flag on the motherfucking hat. Yeah, represent. that's not enough, Luke. Do you have any Redskins hats left over that you can wear the whole episode? I have a Bullets. I have a Washington Bullets hat. Yeah, not enough. Here's what we should do, Luke. We're going to be doing this segment at about, uh, I don't know, 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. Can the... Can the P1 live viewers, the same people who mix misogyny and racism into the recipe, Luke, like they're adding rum into cake, can they, can you guys, you know, hit us up at Twitter and tweet at us and come up with something? Come up with yeah. something. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. We'll fine. see Fair what enough. we're doing there. Uh, Luke, we have, uh, we've got a, like I mentioned, uh, we got a lot of great backers. Why don't I mention that? How about morningcombat.store for your merch fix? You see me in the t shirt, you see me in the mug, you never ever see luke in the material but he he owns it believe me on that uh fantastic merch tell him uh rj will be there tell him bc say yeah i'm sure it'll be great uh you can follow us as well on the you already saw those social handles there you go right there mikey Mormile, cbs sports on the ones and twos today and as Blown well up on tiktok bc i'm telling you mk is starting to get a little bit yeah. of traction there i'm not gonna do it luke because of what it does to your brain so, but hopefully all those other people out there that have no, no, uh, nothing holding them back. I mean, I did a lot of things already. That was bad for my brain, Luke, historically, you know what I mean? Like that, that row we all sit in. So, uh, uh, Brian Campbell did whippets in an Arby's parking lot. I just want to point that out. By the way, this is what's great about this show. There are people from my hometown of Naugatuck, Connecticut, Luke, who either are related to me or are, you know, old school friends of mine. And they pop into the show once in a while. But I never caught an organic one. Some dude reached out to me the other day. He's like, from your same dirtbag hometown, also did whippets in parking lots. Like, look, that felt good, right? Like, you know, he stumbled into the show without having any idea who I am. He's about 10 years younger than me. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You see, I got to say, are you putting on a little muscle or did you shrink that shirt in the wash? What's happening there, fella? You put a little little exercise? Either this is a schmedium or I've been actually listening to my doctor and doing, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of of uh, of weights every morning to try to fight off the black liver, Luke. But, you know, that with the aerodynamic uh, military cut shows you that at at 45, basically, Luke, I can't, I, I, you know, you know what's happening. You're you're Teen Wolf's dad. It, it's mm-hmm. the, the if I grow in any hair, the gray just comes in so aggressively, Luke, that I think I have to go to the military cut to feel good about myself. I think that's the yeah. future. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't know what's happening, but. You know, you're, 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 I'm looking at you like you look at Brett Okamoto. That's how I'm looking at you. Okay. Right that's now. not you know fair at all. That's not fair <laughs> at all. Do not want to fornicate him or Jed Meshu the second, although you keep bringing him up, Luke. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, showtime.com, right? The label that pays us, you can get 30 days free right now. We're talking about Bellator MMA. We're talking about championship boxing and so much more. Check it out. You won't regret it. Look, final thoughts before we head directly into some breaking news in the you in the uh, ultimate fighting championships from the last uh, 24 hours. Uh, there won't be a post fight show for Holly Holm versus uh, Myra Buena Silva. Yeah. So don't wait up. No bueno. Indeed. <laughs> Look, before we get into OK Bet, before we get into the show, no better place to put this piece of information than right at the top. Jamal Hill has relinquished his UFC light Mm. heavyweight championship. He posted a video on social media last evening. Wow. A torn. Is it a torn Achilles? Luke, did I read that? A torn Achilles. Yes. So Damon Martin of MMA fighting is reporting 
through sources that Hill injured himself in that MMA slash UFC basketball game that they had during International Fight Week in Vegas. You oh may have saw people. Oh, my God. Yes, that's Damon Martin's report. But, Luke, the all, I don't mean to pile on here. It was a tough break for, for Jamal Hill. Uh, and like I said in the video, you know, he showed the anguish in, in his voice in, in terms of what, what he's up against here in a long recovery. But, Luke, he was carrying extra weight during this post-championship victory lap. So it's tough to to see that injury and, and, and see that whole situation break out, including, Luke, the chaos that this brings to an already chaotic division. But first and foremost, your reaction to Hill's injury and now a vacancy atop this once great division. I mean, there's just – you know, he was carrying a little extra weight, BC, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to stay close to 205 year-round for these guys. Like, if you've ever met a real – like – BC, have you ever met in person, like right in front of you, Chuck Liddell or Tito Ortiz or, you know, some or Forrest Griffin? Like, dude, these are big guys. These are really they're, big they're, guys. They're heavyweights in real life, right? Yes. In real life, they don't look like somebody who's sub heavyweight. They look like fucking monsters, you know? Um, I, I mean, I, I I interviewed Tito in his prime and, and in person. He was huge, you know? So I, it's hard for these guys. I mean, they're kind of they're going to walk around at some point like 240 in many cases, even higher than that probably. Um, I don't know what he was, and you could say he should have been lower and maintaining lower, and that would have lowered his risk of injury. That that's not that's not utterly unreasonable. But BC, here's what I think about: it. I don't really know the full extent of what contributed to the injury inside the basketball game or in his training regimen before that or the extra weight game. Here's what I'm more thinking about: it's done. His Achilles is ruptured. Dude, th there is no guarantee you're going to come back from that. Sure. No guarantee at all. Now, this is not basketball where the importance of getting the rehabilitation correct is absolutely critical given how much of running and jumping and lateral sprinting and all that kind of lateral motion and, and uh, push off and all that kind of stuff that you would need um, ankle and joint integrity for. Nevertheless, if you don't get it right, it will manifestly impact your ability to move, throw, balance, position weight, you name it. Uh, it will just cause constant problems for you. So I hope his recovery, I hope he takes as long with his recovery as he needs to to get as far along back as he can because I would not wish that kind of injury on anybody to be quite – I mean, that's a devastating, devastating injury to suffer – so let's hope he gets the proper medical care, the proper rehabilitation. But then BC leads to the obvious question, which is, what the fuck are they going to do with that title? Here's well, my first first thought, BC. I just want to pitch it back to you. The first thing I thought of, the very first thing I thought of after, I was like, oh, my God, that's a devastating injury. Wow. Alex Pereira versus Jan Blahovich all of a sudden takes on an extraordinary amount of new significance. Do you think the UFC might say that's a number one contender fight or even put a title on that one? What do you think? Something's got to be done. I mean, that fight is suddenly huge now considering this, but let, let, let's take charge of the whole situation and how we got here. I think the most disappointing fact about Hill, Luke, is that it feels like he finally just arrived, right? He had three straight knockout wins after that Paul Craig submission loss, and then he goes to that war with Glover, and it's this big moment where in your head you're like, man, this guy, what is this guy, 25, 26, 27? He's about to show us how great he can be. No, he's 32, Luke, so knowing that this is – you know, kind of angling toward a year recovery. That's tough to see, but also take into account in order to figure out who fights for it next. Let's take into account how we got here. John Jones gave up that title over three years ago. 
Jan Blahovich beats Reyes and suddenly, you know, we've got a, an interesting new start to this division. And it's not as if this division has not given us insane, almost all time great wars since then it has, but to see the way things have broken out from Yuri Prochatska winning the title in such incredible circumstances in that five round war against Glover Teixeira, right? Not even counting Glover Teixeira's turning back time to upset Blahovich to win the title. And then Yuri gets hurt. He's out. Then we put the title on the line for Ankalaya versus Blahovich, and they fight to a draw. So Jamal Hill breaking through felt revelatory to have a new player on the scene who kind of picked the perfect night against Glover to, to really show us how great he can be, how much of a dog he is, all of that. Well, now he's gone for a full year. So to answer your question, Luke, we do have Pereira versus Blahovich coming up, which has to hold a huge amount of meeting, meaning. But if you look at the the rankings in general, we are under the impression that Yuri Prohaska is set to be healthy after his own disastrous injury. Like later this year, he's the number one contender. You have Ankalaev at number two, Blahovich at three. Obviously, Poetan's making his debut here. And then you've got the players you expect after that at four, five, and six, Rakic, Krylov, and Johnny Walker. Is it fair to one and two, Prohatska and Ankalaev? to just say, okay, Poetan, you just got knocked out and lost your title in a division below, but circumstances are what they are. You're fighting for the championship against Jan. I don't know if I love that, Luke. I don't know if I love that. Um, I do need <laughs> I was, to find out. I was about to say, I was about to say, dude, Pereira could luck his, luck his way into two UFC titles yes. and barely defend a takedown. It's crazy. And, and, you know, he didn't, I mean, okay, like he didn't luck his way into the Izzy title shot. You, know, you know what I'm saying. You know no, what I'm no, saying. but the, the dual fact that that division needed a new player because Izzy had cleaned it out, mixed with the fact that Poetan had a storyline that could, in an age, right, you know, post-35, that could have escalated him and made it happen quicker. It did happen. We got a great rivalry. But let's answer this, Luke. Well, let's go to the Prohatska tweet. Jerry, Yuri Prohatska did respond okay. to uh, this and said, at Jamal Hill, man, I'm so sorry. I was really looking forward to our fight. I appreciate your release of the title. Only a person who has experienced this situation can appreciate such a thing. And then Yuri asks, who is next winner of Blahovich versus Pedeta or question mark hashtag. I am the champion. Luke, if Prohatska is close, I don't love giving Poetan a day one title shot against Blahovich, even though Blahovich has done what he has had to do to keep himself in this title picture. You've got Ankalaev above them who has the same rights as Blahovich. You can argue and what if Prohatska is ready? How about announcing? How about taking charge and maybe announcing a final four? We still go forward with Blahovich versus Poetan. But if Yuri can come back and take on Ankalaev and then the winners can fight, that'd make great business. But Luke, I have to believe if you're the UFC, they'd love to put a title on every single fight they can. I right. kind of expect there's going to be some form of a title on the line in this Blahovich fight coming up. I don't like it, but I kind of expect it. I feel like worst case scenario, it's going to be number one contender explicitly. Worst case scenario. And when I say worst, I mean, it depends on what you want. But I say worst in the sense of like um, what you can expect, right? In terms of like what's the least they're going to do. There's simply no doubt in my mind they're going to say that that fight's probably for number one contender. I think your plan is right. You do either, though, either depending on the, the return schedule of Yuri, you do... Uh, this uh, 291's Blahovich taking on Pereira, and either that one fights uh, Ankalaev for the outright belt, 
which in which case you might have Ankalaya versus Blahovich too. Although I don't know if the UFC wants to do that because the first one was not all that awesome. So maybe that's not so true. But I guess if Pereira wins, you could do that. But or the one you set up, which is if Yuri comes back with a reasonable amount of time, you have him fight Ankalaev, keep this fight, and then the two meet in the middle. But I don't think they're going to do that. I think what they might end up doing is if Yuri, Yuri comes back on a regular schedule, like in, in enough time to plug him into things, they'll keep 291's bout as the number one contender and then just put the belt on the line for Ankalaev and Yuri and then have these four. So it wouldn't really be a final four in that way. The championship yeah. would already be on the line. But I think they're not going to wait around and get two fights to figure out who the champ is after two fights. They're going to just assign it to one of them and then let the chips fall where they may after that, I think. Yeah, a wild turn of events. You hate to see it for Jamal Hill, who, you know, didn't do anything wrong in maximizing his opportunity and getting that fight against Glover. Like, he wouldn't have gotten that title fight if the Ankalaev-Yan fight didn't go the disappointing lane of not being overly exciting and then being a draw. He did take advantage of it. I didn't mention the the weight on him to to dunk on him, Luke, but I have to wonder if that was contributed at all. You know, I'm not saying don't play basketball in between. It's just a bad turn, right? It's a bad turn of events. The division's still set up to give us bangers. If you look at the people involved here in this mythical Final Four, whether it plays out that way or not. But Luke, this doesn't answer that 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 bigger question that you would want it to of like who's the definitive best 205er on the globe it, it's this probably goes further in the direction that it's actually Vadim Nemkov whether people care about that debate or not what do you mean who's the best 205er in the in the in the oh. world right now I mean some of the guys in contention can't unfortunately can't stand up and fight at the moment it's, yeah it, it, I, I don't know how to answer Vadim that Nemkov. I really don't like, I don't yeah. think it, dude, it feels, you know what light heavyweight feels like? We had just had this conversation right after the Pantoja and Moreno fight. It feels like flyweight. It feels like who's the best one on any given night. I don't know what to say. I, I kind of felt I, I had thought that on was inevitable. And then Blahovich made him look very human. So that's not really a case. Pereira 205, who knows what he's going to look like. Blahovich is very good. He's getting a little bit older, though. Yuri has had a terrible injury, and he's a wild man. He gets hit a lot, so I don't know, but he's forceful as shit. You know, there's just a lot of ways. There's just a lot of ways this could go. So um, I, in, in, I will say this. In five years, that title being vacated four times is just a disaster. It's just a complete disaster. That division has no identity really at all. And so I really hope that whoever it is, whoever it is, can really plant a flag and give that division, you know, some some more than identity, some, I don't know, no some continuity of some kind, you know? For sure. All right, two quick questions related to this on the way out. One, Glo Glover Teixeira's not getting up in the bullpen, right? We just established don't that they don't, so. yeah, they don't, don't need him. So. But he has come, you know, I mean, the, the two last couple fights have been absolutely incredible, what he's given out, how close he came to beating both Yuri and then uh, Jamal Hill. And finally, Luke, what do you think about this trend now in this division? When Yuri gave up the belt after the injury, we kind of argued like, hey, that's a great move for business to stay on, but that's not the move most people do. He very well could have been a, you know, almost a champion in recess, and, and that's why you would need that. That's the type of situation, in my opinion, where an interim title is perfect. If the champion's going to be out for a year, you know, but not more, I don't think you need to strip him. You could run an interim belt. Do you think in this case that Jamal Hill made this decision straight up, like we assume 
Yeri did for the betterment of the division, or was there company pressure to put this into a vacancy? I don't know how that works behind the scenes. I suspect that they. I, I listen. I'm not saying that he was like, I'm not giving up my title. I'm not. I'm not saying that. But I do feel like the UFC was like, okay, well, just given how long you're going to be on, here's real realistically what we're likely to do. We're likely to just strip you just the same. So, you know, they let him. I think have the ability to say he relinquished it right and i don't think that's nothing altogether but the reality is i mean listen to your point you said he could be out for a year could be could be longer could be longer no guarantees at all you can come back in a year from an injury like that really depends of course you could come back in nine months too i've seen something like that but in general it's at least a year if not longer um you know we're talking about not just getting back to feeling normal getting back to elite athletic competition training schedules right that's what you have that's what your achilles is going to have to endure the idea like you can get back to that in a year some people can't a lot of people can't it is not a guarantee and i think the ufc was like dude we can't wait for that and i understand the ufc's perspective there actually to be honest we cannot wait for this shit to happen so let's just put it in circulation and you'll get first dibs when you come back i think that's pretty fair to be honest with you yeah and jamal hill did say in his uh video on youtube that the ufc has promised him a title shot upon return so if that's the deal you get it we wish jamal hill the best but this wild and crazy wide open division is going to stay that way luke what a time for poetan this could be you know and what makes this crazy is the ddp win obviously changes Izzy's direction, right? That's going to be a big fight we're going to get to. But Izzy's, what happens in the meantime if if Izzy's old running mate Alex Pereira turns this division upside down as well? A lot of big fights could be in our future. Luke, a lot of big wins. Uh, sorry, big losses. When it's talking about OK Bet, which is in our future right now. Uh, Luke, let's look at. Oh, first of all, let's go to the opening animation. We go head to head each week with five picks in five different categories to find out who's worse at betting and who has to watch a concert that they hate with a documentary crew that no longer exists. This one's called Okay Bet. <laughs> there we go. The last week's standings. They exist. The, the documentary crew technically exists. Um... Well, uh, Luke, you went three and two last week on UFC 290 weekend. I went two and two because Jack Della Maddalena's fight was canceled. He'll be, by the way, in the co-main event like we prophesized this weekend at UFC Fight Night in the Apex. Arguably the worst card in modern history, Luke. So I will do an extra bonus pick this week in the same category, which was KO or sub. And hopefully that'll bring us back even. Here is your updated standings, as you briefly saw there. Luke, 49, 47, and 3. BC, 43, and 55. So I'm within striking distance here very early in the second half of the year. Luke, as the defending reigning champion, are you going first or second? Yes, I want to remind the audience, I am basically no better than flipping a coin, and BC is decidedly worse, so please. But to be fair, Luke, to be fair on that, because people have criticized this segment, a lot of the categories we're picking are straight-up upset categories, like right, somebody right. who's not, an underdog. We're not right? going through the card and being like, X is going to win all the way down. We're, not, yes. we're, we're playing a game in a way, so. People have also suggested, Luke, that we're allowing ourselves on the over-under and KO sub too easy of a layup potential by not playing the odds instead i know of these these people that. need to blow me because this shit is oh, hard wow. and we need it we need oh, a couple wow. of gimmies so hey would is that please. you hey would you blow me yeah. yes use <laughs> yeah. your mouth 
to do things to me. Okay, there you go. That's what I would say. I don't want to get fired. Uh, all right, BC, if I can go first yeah. here on, on the main card pick. Uh, I mean, you know, not really a ballsy pick, not really an interesting one. I'm just going to go with Holly Holm. Uh, you know, Bueno Silva, I believe, lost to Manon Fioro, who, you know, was just yeah. keeping her at distance, kind of kicking her, which is something that Holly Holm can do. Holly Holm's got pretty good takedown defense. I do think that if it gets to the ground, uh, that Bueno Silva is decidedly better there. That, that, to me, would not in any way be surprising if she can get the fight to the ground and then, you know, uh, work from there. But I don't know if she can. I think Holly, even at age 41, is a pretty good athlete. So, yeah, not an interesting pick, not an interesting fight, but I'm going to take Holly Holm in the main event. Good, sir. <laughs> I like that you did that, Luke, because it challenged me to be bold, be different, and stop getting, you know, stalemate picks against you. And as I look at Myra Bueno Silva's odds here at plus 160 against Holly Holm, I started thinking about things, Luke. Holly Holm is getting heavily criticized on the second half of this run where she's staying very relevant in a weak division at 41. And a lot of people are saying, look, all she's doing is holding against the cage. You know, yeah, she's doing more, you know, grappling and takedowns, but it's not really leading it to anything. It's very strategic. Luke, we have seen her in big moments come up surprisingly empty. I'm referencing, for example, the featherweight title fight against Jermaine Durandamy, which we all kind of predicted and expected Holly to win to set up a, a cyborg fight. And it, you know, it, it, she came up very empty and kind of dropped the ball that night. We've seen it before. Is there a potential here with all the uncertainty in this division where Holm comes out, plays it a little bit too safe as she has of late? And considering, as you mentioned, Silva's on a three-fight win streak, the last two by submission, she can be a threat here. Can Silva equally be in a stinker here with Holly Holm, but outstink her in terms of control and timely striking to pull a home versus GDR-esque lame decision out of here where nothing really advances. Well, here's we got to ask ourselves here, Luke. This is Silva's opportunity. Her first really big opportunity to do something major. We don't know what the future of the title is in this division. Who's going to fight for it? I mean, does this fight being booked tell you it's probably Rocky Pennington versus Juliana Pena? I mean, I guess, but it's not like people are going to be going out of their way to see that on a pay-per-view either. This could be... Myra Bueno Silva's chance to really crash the party and, and make some difficult decisions happen. I'm going to take her with the plus money here to do that. Home is steady and solid, but if we're being honest, she hasn't been, she hasn't been next level in a while, Luke. I mean, that Megan Anderson win still stands up as being solid a bunch of years back. And, you know, if, if Betch Cohea is going to run into her with the, with the hands down like that, she can still head kick her out of there, but sometimes she plays it a little bit too safe. Let's give, Mary Myra Myra Bueno Silva a chance to have her moment here. Luke, I'm going to take that. What a shitty card. Are we really doing this right now? Wow. Okay. Yeah. By the way, you think she can follow GDR's game plan? Not necessarily the game plan, but it's like I've seen home in a big spot before a couple times, you know, come up kind of disappointingly empty, Luke. What if Silva makes this a real fight? What if Silva, you know what I mean? Or what if, or what if she has her yeah, own I mean moments of control? I don't think she can follow the GDR game plan, but at the same time, I take your point that like, <laughs> do I have like high confidence in Holly Holm in this regard? Probably well, look, not. You know. She just lost the decision to Ketlin Vieta in a fight that wasn't awesome, right? It's it's there. It's there for you if you're going to go after I agree. Her. The odds are pretty close too, by the way, so it's not like a runaway. Okay. For my underdog pick, BC, uh, I wasn't exactly sure which way to go on this one. 
Um, I might be making a mistake because his opponent is an Uzbek in Nazim uh, Sadikov, or however you pronounce his last name. But I'm going to go with Terrence McKinney. He's my underdog here. The odds makers are friends over at Caesars. They've got him. Let me pull up the numbers here. They've got him at a, a slight underdog, plus 125 to Sadikov's, or uh, you know, however you pronounce it, uh, minus 150. Not a tremendous one. I know he's coming off the Bonfim loss, which was a terrible one for him. But Terrence McKenney, still heavy-handed, still gets after it against a guy who doesn't have a ton of experience. He's going to get blitzed on. McKenney can thump. He's at, He's got fast hands. He gets right after it. I understand him being the underdog, but since we're picking an underdog here, I don't know. I, I I think he's worth taking a flyer on. I don't normally get these picks right, although I got the one right last week uh, in Robbie Lawler. So give me that Lawler energy carrying over to Terrence McKinney. Yeah, McKinney has been stopped two times in the last three fights, last 16 months, but he goes after it. I mean, he's a tough guy to bet on because he goes big, Luke, and that, right. that can – that can be, uh, you know, a big breakthrough win, or that can be another sort of humbling, disastrous ending. There, uh, I don't hate that pick. My, what you went underdog here, Luke. You always flip yes. underdog and favorite. It's weird. We go favorite first. I don't, I don't understand Sorry that. But that. I'm going to go to underdog here, Luke. I'm, I'm feeling I'm gonna, these margaritas. I think so. I'm going to take the 209 here. I'm going to take Chelsea Chandler at plus 120 against Ooh. Norma Dumont. Is this the last fight in women's featherweight history? I don't know, Luke, but you know that there really isn't a ton at stake here. We don't know if this division is even going forward. Is Norma Dumont the better fighter on paper from what we've known and seen? She's steady. She's solid. I can argue with that. But Chandler at 29, Luke, has been, you know, trying to be bold of late in the in the way she can coming out of the Nick Diaz army. She made those comments that Rousey's coming back uh, at 145, and then Ariel had to shoot those down. But she has won five in a row. She won her US, UFC debut by first-round TKO in October of last year against Stoliarenko. Give me Chelsea Chandler in the 209, Luke, to make some noise and give me an upset pick here at, pl at plus 120. Yeah, I got that. I got that shit. I know what I'm doing. All right. So for favorites, BC, you can't go crazy. So, for example, I none of us picked Jack De La Maddalena, right? Couldn't pick him as a favorite, even though Caesars has him as a minus 500. I'm surprised it's not even bigger than that, to be honest yeah. with you. But, uh, okay, neither here nor there. In my particular case, BC, let me pull up my notes here. I am going to go with taking a flyer for my favorite on Alexander Munoz. Uh, Alexander Munoz, in this particular regard, again, let me pull up my notes here. Um, not exactly like blowing me away per se. Carl Deaton, his opponent, has a lot more uh, experience, um, has an interesting look and whatnot, but uh, Munoz or Munoz, however he pronounces it, you know, I understand he's coming off of two losses, but against much better opposition, I would say. This one, to me, is a bit of a step down, Carl, again, relative to who he has been fighting against. And yes, it's true that uh, Deaton's coming off of a loss to Joe Seleski, who is really, really good. Uh, in his only UFC fight to date. I just feel like Munoz, a um, little bit more physical of the two, probably a better wrestler of the two, and that's going to matter in the end. So give me Munoz. Interesting, Luke. I like what you've done there. We'll see if that plays out for you. For my favorite, Luke, I'm going to go with an interesting one here. It's the curtain jerker of the night on the prelim card women's bantamweight division. Not a lot of fanfare on this one, Luke, but Aileen Perez. How would you pronounce A-L-L-I-N for a female? Is that Aileen? Aileen? Aileen, Eileen. Eileen. Uh, she looks, she goes by the nickname Fiona. She's seven and two, but did lose her UFC debut by second round rear naked choke against Stephanie Egger last September. But Luke Thomas, she is as a minus 220 betting favorite against 36 year old Ashley Evan Smith, 
who's coming in having lost four of her last five. And you could argue, Luke, it's winner go home here. I'm going to take the younger, fresher fighter, though. I mean, Ashley Evan Smith makes an interesting podcast asking sexual questions of fighters I follow on Instagram, Luke. But I can't listen to the whole thing. It gets too deep. It's like too much info. I didn't sign up for this only. Yeah. How much of them is like angry sex is like therapy for whatever the hell happened? Yeah, I I realized I I didn't actually want to be there and I got out of it. But I think she's going to lose. Give me Eileen Aylin Perez with (laughs) minus 220 here. I'm trying to win this competition, Luke. There you go. Yeah, it's pronounced. It's pronounced just like we would pronounce Eileen, but we just don't spell it that way. It, but they they change the the spelling to like make it sound like the English word Eileen. Yeah, I told you, bro. Like they like you'll see Jessica's in Colombia, but they pronounce it Jessica. You know. Yeah, you see, uh, you, you see Jureggi's. They pronounce it Horagai. I know, Luke. Right? Yeah. The Portuguese <laughs> yes. Ronaldo. I've been up and down. This. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're doing just to clarify. We're doing over under next, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, BC, this is the easiest thing in the world. This is something we've been whiffing on the entire time. If you want to pick a fight that's going to go the distance, in all likelihood, a women's bantamweight or women's featherweight fight is probably going to go the distance. Especially, if Or you can have respect for yourself, Luke, and respect for true competition and not, not try to cherry pick with the lead constantly. Cherry pick with what? With the lead, you're like, not only am I in first place in this week competition here where we're not doing well, I'm going to try to take as many women's fights that won't go the distance as I can. Well, I'm predicting that it I will go, the, go distance. the distance. Right, because yeah, statistically, I, it's like 70-something percent. Right, you know what that's I mean? right. I'm that's, going to sandbag in this category because the other one, like, dude, like, having to pick an underdog every week when you're not good at betting is very difficult. Like, that thing constantly really not that hard, me up. Really not that hard. You just do it. Yeah, it's, are, it says the guy who's 43 me. and 55. You're literally <laughs> worse than flipping is, a coin. I still sleep at night. You sound like, you always sound so upset. You're like, you know, they have rules in this segment where I can't pick somebody who's minus 700. It's like, remember we used to do those HQ hits and they'd be like, Luke, what's your lock of the week? And you'd be like, sorry, yeah, I, I know, know you guys don't want me to do this, but I'm going to pick a minus 1200 favorite as my lock yeah, of the week. Yeah, that's my lock of the week. That's not the point of that. The point of that is like, where can somebody potentially make money that you're really confident is going to happen? Yeah, I'm not, I don't, I'm not confident on um, not betting picks or just straight up and down picks. MMA is volatile. I know. Um, Look, you have, you have gaps. You have, you have blind spots. No, but tell me, it is, it is, it is, it sounds fun for air to do, which is what we're doing. We're having fun with these. I mean, none of us really know. You're pissing on the, you're turning the segment into a urinal cake by showing that you don't care, Luke. Well, maybe the segment's ideas are not that interesting. Uh, for me, it's like asking people to predict the future unless they're exceptionally good at it is not uh, an effective use of time. That's just me thinking. Well, I, out I loud. could see that if your counter wasn't, you know, what's interesting picking minus 800 favorites. That's, that's oh, not yeah. interesting. I mean, that is also stupid. I, I mean, I want to be clear. I mean, there's no point to that either, but I just really feel like a lot of people in the space like to say what they know is going to happen in games or in fights. And the vast majority of the time they have no fucking idea. So neither here nor there. Here is my best guess for over-under. Give me Dumont and Chandler, Norman Dumont and Chandler, going the distance, BC. I feel like that's a very safe, sandbaggy pick. Also, like my balls. When I take over first place in this competition, Luke, I will be betting only, only UFC women's fights, taking all layups the rest of the way, because I, Luke... Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, obviously, Luke, I'm a competitor, okay? I want to step on your throat the proper way. Thank you. Let's go over to my over-under. I'm going to go to the Showtime Championship Boxing main event. We'll have more on this shortly to preview it. But give me lightweight Frank Martin to not go the distance against Artem Harutunian, the German uh, German living Armenian, Luke. Uh, I'm going to take the under on that fight. 
We'll get to more of those specifics coming up. What's your KO or sub pick? Uh, another one, just going to sandbag the balls off of this one. Give me De La Maddalena Hafez ending in KO. All right. Well, Luke, I looked up. Do I need to say any more than that? Well, I'm trying to win this. So I was like, hey, Jack, Bob Dabalina is coming off a submission win in the UFC. Give me De La Maddalena versus Hafez to end in submission, Luke. So there we go. I'm trying. Okay. That's an interesting one. I like that pick. I like like that that a lot. And my bonus pick on KO or sub to make up for Jack last week is going to be a KO, Luke, in the Otman Isatar Francisco Prado fight. Okay. You want to know That's actually why? a decent bet. I, the Azatar brothers are uh, they they are wild, men. They are bangers, Luke. They are bangers. But, Luke, you know, we have – um, it's, you know, we're more than halfway through the year, and you talked about me looking nice in this medium T-shirt, Luke, and since the beginning of the year, I've got to tell you, my fitness journey has had its ups and downs. But, Luke, with FitBod, I can build a dynamic workout catered – to whatever fitness level I'm currently at. That's right, BC. Smart technology is all around us. You wouldn't uh, use a printed map when you have your phone's GPS, right? So using technology to improve your workout is the same thing, basically. FitBot's technology improves my workout by creating routines I can stick to. And sometimes when we're working, Luke, or at a fight, or just living life, I can often forget the types of workouts I need to do at the gym. And this app helps me keep track of that of what I need to exactly work on to not look washed. That is true. Uh, What's great is that the workouts on the app improve as you get better. That's such a cool feature. And it understands your abilities and studies past workouts and adapts to the equipment that you have available in your front yard like a real man. Yeah, like a real one. But Luke, doesn't this make like all gym sessions suddenly fresh and fun by mixing it up? Would you say that on the record? I I would say that. You can create a personalized workout plan designed for your fitness level and goals. And FitBot is easy because you can never, excuse me, you can also view over 1,400 exercise demonstration videos. You can learn all of the right movements right there on your phone. And Luke, you can track all your damn achievements right on the app. You can build your fitness habit and stay consistent all summer long because Luke, it's time to take that t-shirt off. Summer season is here. Okay. Okay. It's, it's time. It's time for you to show the world all of your chest hats. Uh, by the way, I booked an appointment September 7th. Your boys are getting another tattoo. So there you Where? go. Where Luke? On the inside of the arm here. What are you going to get? I am going to get a uh, American traditional knife through a rose. Wow, that's very violent and loving at the same time of you. You know, you know. Yeah. I I heard Luke that that um. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I go. dropped my joke and maybe I'm trying to pick it up. Luke, I <laughs> Luke, I heard that you like pleasure spiked with pain, and that uh, hardcore death metal music is your aeroplane. Aeroplane. Yes. Uh, and last but not least, BC, just want to remind folks, you know, you can track all your achievements on the app, keep your fitness ha- habit and stay consistent all summer long. So wherever you are in your fitness journey, get the most out of every workout with FitBot. Isn't that right, BC? Yeah. Why don't you get 20% off your subscription right now by going to FitBod, that's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash combat with a K. FitBod dot M-E slash combat. Yes. F-I-T-B-O-D. There you go. Whole thing. There you BC, go. Um, would you like to know that uh, I am now working out in my front yard more than ever? But here is the catch. Here's the yeah. catch. 
Yeah. Uh, I have been getting up at like 4.30 in the morning to go do it. So the only other people out are people like running with their dogs okay. and shit. Okay, let's get this right here. It's already yeah. weird enough that you work out in the front yard in, in a city, yes, it is. by the yes, way. It's it not is. like you live on a farm and with Bryce Mitchell and his trailer and you're just out That's there true. picking up hay bales over your head with purple stains on your shoulders as you pull out of fights. Luke, you are waking up at 4.30 in a city where there's people living close by up in the window and you're like clanging clanging weights together like a loud right. POS. Yeah, just not right. caring. Of, Luke, do you not have self-respect for for the decency of of what that tells to people that their sleep patterns mean shit mean shit to you i don't think i'm that loud i don't think i'm not nearly as loud as you might imagine all of my plates are rubber um they're bumper plates and i don't dr i can't drop the dumbbells because they're newel bells so if you just drop them they uh shatter so i have to be somewhat careful but i do bring the bluetooth speaker and the dying fetus gets going around 4.45 a.m. out there. Um, that is a Dude, real thing. are you seriously this level of an asshole that you are playing death metal at 4.30 a.m. audibly for people to hear as you lift weights? I don't like think you can. I, I, I've, I've checked it. So I think if you're walking past my house, like on the sidewalk, you can't actually hear. You have to be right up where I'm at. The more I learn you, Luke... The more I leave you, my neighbors, <laughs> my neighbors complain about lots of things. Like when I leave the light on overnight or something, they have never once complained about that. They know me. I know my neighbors real well. So they, they complain that that, that time you decided for about a decade not to care about sculpting your lawn at all. They definitely oh, they did get bitter about that. They did get bitter about that. They were like, uh, you know, the city's complaining. We don't want to say anything. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right about that. But they don't complain about me uh, getting to getting to, you know, the weights early. No, they don't mind. It's all right. Well, Luke, we had breaking news. We had OK Bet. Let's get into the meat of the show. Topic number one. Hey, interesting piece of sound from one Michael Chandler. He may or may not be headlining a December pay-per-view with a Christmas tree emoji against Conor McGregor. I think actually, Luke, they should change the rules on tough. Get this for an idea. The coaches should have to fight each other at the end of the season. <laughs> like that. <laughs> and if you're wondering. That's an interesting uh, idea. I never thought of yeah, it that way. Yeah. And if you're wondering where in the world is Conor McGregor this week, Luke, he improved to 0-7 as tough oh. coach earlier this week. Well, Michael Chandler was I will say this. Hold on a second. I will say this in defense of Conor, right? Getting guys who made it to the UFC who washed out, some of them are going to not be all that great, but some of them are going to be pretty good. Like Roosevelt Roberts is pretty good, you know? Yeah. There's some other ones there too. Like they gave Connor a bunch of guys who are very unproven against some guys who were, you know, also Rands. I understand, but it just feels to me like, you know, is Connor a bad coach? From what I can tell, yes, he doesn't seem to be doing fuck all for his team. <laughs> however, Dude, he, wear, he wears however, tight three piece suits while he's coaching. I mean, I know, come on. I know, I know. Here, but here's what I would say: if you switch teams, would he still be zero and seven? I don't think he would be. Right, that's I don't think a, he that's would. That's an be. interesting proposition, but you know, as I've said before, Luke, this is his coaching style. <laughs> Punch him in the fucking nose! Like it's just it's it's ridiculous, you know. And also, and he's, and he's, apropos apropos of uh, our, uh, Wednesday's episode, Tyson Fury has already called Francis Ngannou a big dosser. I just want you to know that he called him oh, a big wow. dosser on stuff. There you go. Oh, Luke. Uh, oh, we'll get to that later. Let's stay in this. We have sound from Michael Chandler. I'm not sure where it's from. I'm sure we'll label that though. Uh, talking about one Alex Volkanovsky. Interesting. Let's listen in. Is Alexander Volkanovsky unbeatable? 
Alexander the Great is just that. I break it down to three C's of why I think Alexander Volkanovsky is the most unbeatable, not just unbeatable champion, but the most unbeatable guy in the entire world. There's a reason why he's the pound for pound number one. I break it down to three C's. Completeness, cardio, and composure. He is the most complete fighter that we have on the roster in the UFC. The most complete fighter in the entire world. Those three C's, Luke, getting close to gimmick infringement on Brendan Schaub's thick boy, right? I mean, you know, I think the <laughs> you will C's- find any angle for skits and bits. I, I, I honestly admire your orange-faced commitment to this bit. It's it's, <laughs> it's, it's say quite those, amazing. Only those C's stand for comedy, connoisseur, right? And chombies. <laughs> there you go, Luke. All right, uh, Luke. That's an interesting. Will you leave problem. me out of this shit, please. <laughs> Luke, Michael, that was Michael Chandler's YouTube page. Hey, high production. All these fighters are getting gear. Luke, they are making it so the MMA media is not needed anymore. Yeah, MMA media, I don't know. They haven't quite picked up on the reality that they're definitely not in demand at all. Like the MMA fighters have just taken all their jobs. Is this the darkest time for them? I mean, didn't the New York Times just lay off their whole sports department, although they own the athletic? Is this the darkest times for sports media, Luke? They didn't lay off their entire department, so the athletic is going to do their sports, and I think that they reassigned everyone who was on their sports desk. But it's like Emmanuel Morgan was covering sports for them. He was a great. He was the guy who wrote the Francis Ngannou big piece and everything else. It's like, what the fuck is he going to do now? Like science and technology. I don't know how they're going to reassign them. So, it, yeah, it's it's a horrible, horrible time. All the athletes are taking all the jobs that media once had, which like you can be mad about it, but it ain't going to stop. And uh, yeah, terrible, terrible, really terrible time. All right, back to Michael Chandler's comments. I did like the three C's. He's right. Is, though, he right about this, Luke? Obviously, Volkanovsky is the pound-for-pound king. Or you could have Islam, you could have John Jones. I get that, but he's right there. But sometimes beatability is, is dependent upon the competition in your own division as well. Would you say right now in the UFC that the hardest champion to beat, the most unbeatable champion, is exactly that, Alexander the Great? I don't see how you could say it's anybody else. I mean, you could argue, again, number one, number two, based on accomplishment, is it Volk, is it Islam? And that's a fine debate. Again, there's going to be differences of opinion, and I'm okay with that. But what you can't say is that, like, I just don't feel like Islam is as far ahead of the other 155ers, even though I think he is ahead of them, in the same way that I think Volk is ahead of his contemporaries. I mean, Volk is able to do things in terms, we talked about this before, in terms of computation, in terms of strategy, in terms of adaptation. Folks just don't appreciate this. It is not automatic that even a high-level fighter can look at what is happening in front of them, make diagnoses about it, and make slight alterations in different ways such as, such as to problem solve for them and maximize their own chances. This is by no means a given. It's like some guys can do it, some guys can do it well, and some guys can do it extraordinarily well. Volkanovsky is at the at that end. He's at the guy who can do it like effortlessly is what he can do at this point, basically. And so because of that, when you ask who's unbeatable, you marry that BC with the things like he made it three Cs, which is like easy to understand about cardio and then composure, which I think is important. But you think of it this way, he is such a professional that you're not going to catch him slipping on his training in terms of is he in shape. He will be in shape. You're not going to catch him slipping like unable to make weight. He is going to make weight. So all of the base layer conditions necessary for success, those are all covered. He's a pro's pro. He then adds to that 
this adaptability, which is so next level. I just, I just don't know what guys are going to be able to do with that for sure. He is the toughest champion to beat yeah. in MMA I mean, right now. For as long as that window lasts, and at 34, even with that dooming stat you like to share lingering out there, obviously, like the fall off the cliff was going to be is going to come, and the fall off the cliff doesn't have to be knockout loss. The fall off the cliff could just be going from super elite, all time great to just very, 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 very good. But you look at like that's why I've been comparing him to Demetrius Johnson of late. He's one of the rare fighters in history who, like across the board, has raised each and every part of the categories of what makes up a great fighter and built them all up to the super elite level where it's just like, there's nothing he can't do in that regard. But the reality is that everyone's human. Nobody is unbeatable. And that's what makes upsets so thrilling and so amazing when somebody implodes or gets caught or makes a big mistake because Luke as strong and dominant as Volkanovsky is right now. And I do agree with you and Michael Chandler that he is the answer to the question of who is the most unbeatable champion at the moment. True or false to you, Valentina Shevchenko before the Grosso fight, considering the division, even though it's getting better, in my opinion, was even more unbeatable if we're going to stick a label on that. And look what just happened to Alexa Grosso. She got submitted. It's like, that's wild. But I actually would have said that compared to the level of competition, I almost considered Shevchenko even higher up of a distance hmm. separating them from those below them. I don't think that's an inaccurate statement. Ooh, that's interesting. So hold on. It, she's more unbeatable. Like, so the way you're imagining it is the distance between her base layer of ability and their base layer of ability, like what is the actual distance between that? And in your mind, that's what made up the difference. Not so much like particular fight ability or something. Well, that That's part of it. You've got to be well-rounded across the entire board so that you can solve every problem. But I right. think until recently, this 125 division like was almost historically bad. And then it got a little bit better, a little bit better. Now it's pretty damn good. But even within that, Luke, I don't know if you have the same level of finishing threats that you do at women's flyweight that you do in a killer division like men's featherweight at the moment. So that only adds to the danger, but I think even, you know, it's a flawed point to even bring up Valentina. Cause what did she do last fight? She just got completely bamboozled and finished. I mean, she tapped out to rear naked choke. It, 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 no one is really unbeatable, but yeah, right now it's Volkanovsky. I do think Valentina well, and really at some point, Amanda before her, before the Pena fight, Maybe before the GDR rematch, it did feel for a bit like Amanda was going to be unbeatable for a while. But that also, again, had to do with the competition level across from her. I mean, I've made this point before. Like, champions, it's not that they never get tested. It's that that even when they get tested, they find ways to persevere. So I'll give you two great examples. I go back to it all the time. You know, Fedor in his prime got his shit rocked by Kazuyuki Fujita, who was a guy he was widely expected to demolish and even after he got rocked he demolished him uh in the most brutal of ways it was one of the best body kick where i think it was a right hook combo maybe it was a left hook combo i can't remember but it was a body kick and then a hook combo that just sent him crashing to the mat but he got i mean he was in horrible shape before that he just found a way to persevere or bc for fight fans who may have missed that when it happened how about brian ortega nearly squeezing the life out of Alexander Volkanovsky, he just found a way to persevere. But boy, he was tested. He was pushed to the limit. Like they, like 
So in that fragile sense, in that like unbeatable sense, it's not like the people are never able to ascend the mountain. It's like they are rarely able to ascend the mountain. But even when they do, the guy just finds, or the lady, one more little extra gear to get to. He calls it composure in his list to move him up the list. So BC, it actually makes me wonder, like when we look at the champions, how would you rank them in terms of least beatable? We've got Volkanovski at the top. I probably would put Islam number two, but where would you put number three? Would you put a guy at flyweight? Probably not. Certainly not 205. You can, and in heavyweight, maybe John Jones, but he's not going to be around long enough, so it's harder to say. So I was thinking, like, would you put Izzy three? Because we just saw him get beat, and then he comes back and he wins, and he's been champion for a while, but you wouldn't call him unbeatable. Who's behind Volk and Islam? in that ranking of most unbeatable? I think it's Izzy. That seemed like a special case scenario. It's not like Izzy is unbeatable, but the the fact that he did lose, it did come in a fight, came in a fight in which he was leading clearly in the fifth round and against a rival who had his number. He obviously did the only thing you can do to completely change that scenario, which is come right back, immediate rematch, and knock that guy the frick out. I think that puts him up into third in that regard, even though he's not as well-rounded as some of the guys in this contemporary listing, meaning Islam or, or Volk, he's so strong. He's closed the the areas that he's not as strong at. I'm saying he's sort of figured out how to avoid getting into trouble in those areas. He's able to use his lead strengths in terms of striking distance and timing and all of that to such a high degree to control the terms of the fight. I think it's, it's okay to have Islam at two because, look, we have seen him lose before. He's better than that fight. We've just never seen Volk lose on this level. At all. We just haven't. You know what I'm saying? So that separates that. But I do think Adesanya, with Valentina losing, with Amanda retiring, I think Adesanya is right there at three. And after that, it's like... Well, let me say after that. Let me say say after that, because I have an idea. I don't know where I would put Aljamain Sterling right now. But after August 19th, if by August 20th, Aljamain Sterling is still your bantamweight champion, if he beats Sean O'Malley, I mean, just consider this for a second, BC. Number one ranked contender is Marab. It looks like they're not going to fight, so that's not even a question we can really ask. Two would be Sean O'Malley. Three would be Cejudo. Four would be Sandhagen. Five would be Jan. He would have basically beaten and cleaned out the top five at that point. Again, not including Marab, who you might think could beat him, but if they're not going to fight, how relevant is it? It's not. Dude, I got to tell you, I, I, again, because we're not past the Sean O'Malley fight, I'm a little bit more unclear because, you know, the Cejudo fight was, I mean, he, he eked one out there. But if he goes and beats Sean O'Malley and you're beating the, basically all the guys in the top five, you might have to put him number three right. after that, to be quite honest with you. Especially because he has been creeping up the pound for pound list with these victories. Even again, if some of them are, you know, like the TJ fight, you don't really learn anything from, but it's another big win against a big name. It, you know, he's it's hard. you can't keep Aljo out of the top five of your pound for pound at the moment. So I would agree. I want you to stop saying, though, John won't be around for long. Luke, you don't know that. You don't know that. You say it's so matter okay. of fact. If he sticks around, then it's a different qu- equation. But if he beats, you know, Cyril God, who was just utterly unprepared for that moment, and then a 42-year-old or whatever old he'll be, Stipe, then calls it quits. It's like how dominant a champion He's was. He's not he? calling like, it quits well, after that. I mean, you don't know that he I think he made one comment, and you're living and dying on that. But John is an interesting factor in this, Luke, only because we. I'll say this again, and I'll stand by it. We don't know who John Jones really is as a heavyweight because of the the way how quickly that gone fight went. I don't actually know how unbeatable he is. You see, obviously he has such deep intangibles from IQ to chin that, you know, he may just be more skilled than all these guys and, 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 ha- and has retained some of that light heavyweight speed to just use that long reach and keep him away. 
or he could get knocked out by Stipe. I mean, we don't really know. You don't really know that. You don't really know that. But Luke, when we're talking about like who's an unbeatable champion, it's not an all-time thing in terms of the totality of your career because inevitably, unless you retire on top like Habib did, you're, you're going to get to a point where you're beatable to some degree or just look, bad luck will catch up to you. There's so many ways to lose. But when we ask each other, who do we think was the all-time most unbeatable champion? I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think what we're asking is at the very peak of their powers, however long that was, three to five years, one year, one fight, however it was at the very peak of their powers, and you look back and you're trying to debate who was the most unbeatable champion, because you and I just did the resume review of Fedor, and I got to go back fight after fight in order and relive that pride run against all killers, and see what he did against prime big nog who was destroying all the other heavyweights in there and see how he almost got finished, but would come back miraculously after being dropped on his head, all that kind of stuff. It's Fedor's my answer. How do you counter that? Mm. No, uh, it would be BJ Penn when he was working for the Marinoviches. I, I just, and here's why I say that BC, because the Fedor choice is a good choice. It's not a bad choice. But uh, the reason why I go with Penn is because, like, for example, like after the Diego Sanchez fight or something, you could say, you could even say after the Shirk fight, whatever one you want. I remember thinking about what he was so good at and saying to myself at that time, I don't think anyone is going to beat this guy right now. Like at that moment, and I still don't think Frank Yeager beat him the first time, although he obviously did the second, but. Um, he, 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 there was a moment in time where he was working with the Marinovich brothers where he was at that, at that moment, fucking untouchable, untouchable. And, uh, I'd never seen a fighter quite like that. You know, you couldn't take him pick. down. You're not going to beat him in jujitsu. He was working with Freddie Roach. He had a ridiculous jab. He punched hard. And the, you, if you watch the Nick Diaz fight or the, or even the John Fitch fight, but if you watch the Nick Diaz fight, you can't really appreciate it. But there was a time where BJ was hard to scar. It was hard to lump him up. Even when you hit him, he had like just like a, not a rock chin and like tough skin. And when that faded, the whole thing went. But at that moment, like when he beat Takanori Gomi at Rumble on the Rock, I was like, holy fucking shit. You know, you just couldn't, yeah. you couldn't fathom anyone beating him. I'm glad you bring that up to remember that stretch. It's the same reason we have to bring up WEC version of Jose Aldo, who was just a next level beast and so far ahead of everybody. John Jones in the light heavyweight run has to factor in here. Again, his intangibles pulled him out of very tough fights against Hall of Famers, and he was able to get the edge all of the time. Amanda at her peak, Valentina at her peak are in this discussion. Uh, Rousey's interesting, Luke, because the, the I mean, the women's game was so... Some of these, some of these ladies were so overmatched, but yeah, in that dominant stretch, it started to feel like who, who could she not submit in 20, 30 seconds, but I got to offer Habib back into here, Luke, because he did walk away at the very peak of his powers. And at that very point, at the very peak of his powers, it's really hard to make an argument for anyone historically in and around his weight class to have been able to figure him out and, and, and beat him. I mean, seriously, how great was the Habib? who survived those leg kicks and then instantly submitted Gaethje. Like that dude or the dude from the Poirier fight before that? Who's beating that guy, Luke? Anyone? I mean, here's how you know. Like, And, and, and Mikey is saying Anderson Silva. Dude, I remember when Anderson Silva, like, obviously, you know, it's funny. Like, when did he look the most unbeatable when he was fucking styling? Uh, not just on Chelsana, but even later, Stefan Bonner, the late Stefan Bonner, rest in peace. But then, of course, he lost right after that. He lost to Chris Weidman right after that. So, you know, it's a certain moments in time guys look like that. Um, the John Jones one is interesting, but Habib, like, here's what I mean about these guys, like with Penn and Habib, 
when they're beating the shit out of their contemporaries and then they're using tools that the rest of the game hasn't caught up on. Like BJ Penn had a jab before people had a really good jab. He was using, even to this day, BJ Penn's ground game would still be considered advanced by today's standards. That is how far ahead he was in jujitsu. Like him using octopus guard, octopus guard back takes, like the kind he hit on Matt Hughes. He actually separated his rib doing it at the time, which was I think the second or third Hughes fight. No, it's the second Hughes fight. Um, octopus guard back takes are only now coming into fashion or have been about the last year or so. BJ Penn was doing that over 10 fucking years ago. This is what I mean. These guys, and Habib too, like guys are now catching up to the Dagestani style of like wrist control and, and you know, and then wrapping the legs and elevating them and then using that to, you know, control movement. Like what Craig Jones has gotten guys like Makach, oh, excuse me, uh, guys like Volkanovsky to do, you know, they're ahead of the, their time. Right, John Jones was ahead of his time. Silva ahead of his time. GSP ahead of his time. To what degree they were unbeatable, we can decide. But that, to me, is the common denominator. They're doing things in the game that their peers simply do not. It's not yeah. just that they're better. They're doing things differently. And I hate to dunk on our boy Rashad, but welcome to the Machida era. It did feel like he wasn't going to lose for a while after that title knockout win, right? It did feel Whoops. like it. Yeah. yeah, it did feel like it. To close on this category, Mikey has written down, Who's the most beatable champion of the moment? That sounds disrespectful. Who's the most vulnerable UFC champion at the moment based on Damn. either the parity in the division or maybe, you know, the fact that sometimes people win the championship but aren't the best fighter in the division at that moment? Definitely feels like flyweight is up for grabs. And again, not that none of these guys are bums. That's not what we mean. We just mean a lot of them are really good, but they're not really much much better than the other guy, right? It kind of feels like Brandon Moreno could have won that on a different night, you know? So that one, certainly 205. I mean, who is the best guy at 205? I don't fucking know. I don't really have... I kind of feel like, you know, I've got a well, cleaner there's no champion. sense. There's no champion, Luke. So that's that. That's that, that's a moot question. But, but, no but even then, even if like there... Even if none of the divisions had belts and I had to ask you, who do you think is the best guy at 205? You couldn't give me a definitive answer. You'd have to kind of guess at it. It's not, it's not so clear. So... Um, so there's that on the women's side, Grasso's pretty vulnerable because she has to beat Shevchenko twice back to back. That's fucking hard to do. Yeah. Um, Whaley looks in a good spot, even though she's been off yes, a long time. Yes, she does. Right? Yes, she does. She does. Yeah. I'd say her position, at least it feels more secure. I guess we'll see what happens next. Yeah. Rose moved up in weight. We got Amanda Limos coming up for Whaley, you know, for better or for worse. Interesting topic posed by one Michael Chandler. We'll see what his future brings. Um, you want to see Chandler versus Volkanovski in any iteration, Lou? Do you think that could happen or no? In any form? Not next, I guess, but like, no, not next for sure, but but in any form. I wouldn't say no to it. Yeah, I okay. wouldn't say no to that at all. Again, to your point, next, I don't know. But in general, sure, sure. All I'd right, topic to number two, Luke, takes us to the inside the box, right? Step three, put your, wow, wow, we will do that, Luke. A uh, couple cards of note this weekend. How about Las Vegas at the Cosmo Saturday night Showtime Championship Boxing has a triple header headlined by rising unbeaten lightweight Frank Martin. Yes, trained by Derek James, 17 and 0 with 12 KOs and fresh off a breakthrough dominant unanimous decision win over unbeaten Michelle Rivera to close last year. Luke will be welcoming Armenian born, German residing, and unbeaten Artem Haratunian, 12 and 0 with seven knockouts. He won Olympic bronze at the 2016 games for Germany, but this will be his U.S. debut. Luke, it kind of feels in the, you know, on paper, like 
let's set up a nice showcase here for Frank Martin, who could be a monster player in this 135-140 window with so many bright young stars. But, you know, we've done this before in boxing, and the reference point I always make when there's a tough fighter coming in, making a U.S. debut who we've never heard of, is the slugger Ricardo Torres when he came in there against Miguel Cotto back in 2005, knocked him down, nearly upset him. Miguel Torres was a monster puncher, though. I don't know if Artem Haratunian has that same reputation. When you look at this matchup, we're going to tune in to see what Frank Martin's got. But can Armenia have a huge day with monster head movement and make this a real fight? What do your expectations come in to say? No, I didn't see anything on tape. I mean, I'm not an expert in Haratunian, but like having seen a few things, what's online, I didn't see. I mean, it's a tough fight against Frank Martin, right? So for folks who don't know, Frank, I mean, you kind of indicated, but Frank Martin, let's remind everyone, this guy trains with Errol Spence. This guy trains with Jermel Charlo. Technically, this is the same camp where Ryan Garcia is, where Anthony Joshua is. So, like, you know, he is in a very special elite camp for very special elite guys, and I like what his game brings. It's a little bit patient. It's very careful and yet still plenty offensive. And more importantly, BC, the thing that Frank Martin really thrives on is making guys make mistakes and then making them pay for it. He is very good at setting traps and then absolutely demolishing it. I've said it before. He's got maybe the best pull-to counter I've seen in all of boxing. It's fucking absurd how good it is, how often he gets guys to make those overcommitments, and then he torches them for it in the most absurd ways. Frank Martin is... He's not the high IQ pressure fighter that Spence is. He's a little bit more careful and considerate. So this one could potentially go the distance, BC. I don't think that's crazy. But he doesn't make a lot of errors. He is very fundamentally sound. He does have good power. He is excellent at setting traps and really, really good at making guys pay for mistakes. I cannot yes. overstate that enough. And I feel like Haratunian is going to walk into a lot of shit. This is a this is a fight where Frank Martin should win, and I was, I'm going to say by a comfortable margin. Well, Haratunian is, is aggressive. You know, it doesn't have a, a huge amount of power, but he is aggressive and makes fights happen. That's going to mean that they're going to collide in the center of the ring. And I, I'm picking the under here in the OK bet terms because I think Frank Martin right. is a better fighter and poised to continue this breakout. He's 28 years old. Fights out of Indianapolis, Luke, but trains there in Dallas in, in arguably the best camp in the sport right now. Why I love that a guy like Derek James is on top because he's a guy who he's the perfect kind of coach. He leans on defensive fundamentals. He was a former boxer himself. He's smart, but he trains killers who offensively can handle themselves. And in the second half of these fights, particularly, dude, they go after it, right? Think Spence, think Jermel Charlo, think Frank Martin. But now we're adding in guys like Anthony Joshua and Ryan Garcia into the same gym. Dude, when you're rubbing elbows like that, you can only benefit that from that if you're a guy like Frank Martin in this spot. So pressure's on him to come out and make a big statement, but that's what he's done. Last year, he won three fights. He knocked out Romero Duno, knocked out Jackson Mariñez, a guy who we thought had beat Roley Romero for a world title. And then what he did to Michelle Rivera was like, wow, open Shocking. up your eyes. He's coming the hell on. Uh, part of this triple header, by the way, Elvis Rodriguez, uh, another one of these Dominican fighters is making huge news. Um, he did rebound from that upset loss he had to Kenneth Sims a few years back ago. But now he's welcoming former champ Victor Postal. So this is a really good test of exactly where Elvis Rodriguez is. Uh, I believe Freddie Roach is his trainer. There's always, you know, there's been big fanfare on him for years. Let's see if he can put that together. But if Frank Martin comes out of here, Luke, so many big fights you can make for this guy at 35 or 40 if he wants to move up. Um, I don't know, man. Could be a could be a could be a monster breakthrough night Saturday evening I've, showtime. I've, 
I don't think it's next or how should I say this? If you're PBC and you have Tank Davis, you're probably thinking Davis Haney maybe is a way to get something, whatever. But like if you're thinking in the PBC family, you could do the Cruz rematch. That's another one you could do. But the other one you could do is you could do Tank Davis versus Frank Martin. Now, I'll just be honest with you. That's a tough fight for Tank Davis. Uh, Tank obviously is a talent, an exceptional one, one of the best power punchers we have in all of boxing. But I'm going to be, I'm going to state it one more time, dude. Frank Martin has an airtight game, does not make a lot of mistakes. You never, or I won't say never, you rarely see him get hit cleanly. Uh, he has good positioning. His balance is good. His distance management is good. Like he is fundamentally sound. That's a direction you could go to. I don't think it's crazy, BC. Tell me if I'm missing something. I know 135, maybe Tank doesn't want to go there. He wants to go to 140. But if he's going to stick around 135, Tank Davis versus Frank Martin, not the craziest idea, you know? No, no. That was the idea I had after Frank Martin beat Michelle Rivera. That's right. That, yeah, that, there you or go. After, after Tank beat Ryan, it was, you know what? Maybe we, we maybe we start building in that direction. That would be a very, very difficult. Look, difficult fight for Tank. And Tank Luke is, is currently incarcerated. But I, I have to assume when he comes out later this year, he's going to be fired up to get back in the mix. And, I mean, that's the best thing that can happen outside of – they're trying. But outside of the best facing the best in this 135 to 140 window, regardless of side of the street – they're trying, right? Ryan Garcia fought Tank. We're making, you know, look, Fulton's fighting a new way off of a PBC network coming up on July 25th. So we're seeing people try this. But the best thing that can happen if they can't fight each other is for each one to come out and one-up one another and sort of like put the pressure on them to go out, seek bigger names, create bigger moments to continuously prove who is the best. And, and you know, I talk about it a lot, Luke, that I feel like the climate has changed for the young American fighter, fighters. Talked to Boots Ennis about that. And he agreed. Like, they they want it now. I mean, Luke, you know millennials. They don't want to wait. They want it now. That's going to that's gonna continue to play into our hands there as old wash guys who want to reclaim that glory of the 70s and 80s and 90s when you watch the sport. I want fighters to, to care too much about the internet chatter and want to prove their greatness. You know, that's what we want. For sure. Indeed. All right. Also this weekend, Luke, Saturday from the Masonic Hall, the, the, the historic one in Detroit, it's going to go down on the zone. Alicia Baumgartner, your undisputed women's champion at 130 pounds, will defend all four belts in against the only fighter to beat her as a professional. That's Christina Linard de two. I'm butchering that name. But Luke, they fought to an eight round decision. Back, by the way, in, uh, what was it, three, four years ago? I'm trying to read my own notes here, Luke. I'm trying to get you excited about this. Um, she won um, the split decision, 77-75 uh, on two, and then the other way, 77-75. So 2018, they fought. Very close fight. Leonardo two got the decision. Luke, from there, the 35-year-old from Greece has gone on to big things. She lost to Delphine Pursun later that year, who, of course, gave Katie Taylor two amazing fights. And then she worked her way back into a title unification bout with Katie Taylor and dropped that fight in 2019. So this is a big moment for Baumgartner, Luke, who had unified titles in this division by upsetting Michaela Mayer in that fun fight in 2022. And then she became the undisputed champion when she beat Elhem Mekhaled in February for the fourth and vacant belt. That fight, look, in women's boxing, Luke, there's only a certain amount of elites we love when they fight each other. But I think Alicia Baumgartner is becoming must-see in that degree that, like, 
there's a plus level to her game. I mean, she's figured out, she's always been elusive and quick and, but she's really working on technique, Tony Harrison in her corner and she's becoming something right here. So, Hey, let's give her a chance to run back against the only person to beat her as a pro. I can get down with that storyline. You, and she's a dog. Like she kind of out dogged Michaela Mayer. You know, yes, there was more than that. It was, you know, obviously the sweet science, but you would be wrong to deny that she's got some dog in her and uh, she's got some fire. And I think it's, that's, carries her in fights but also it carries her competitively as a mindset into what you're talking about exactly bc which is i gotta get this one back i gotta get the i gotta beat you gotta do the gsp thing i gotta beat all the guys who beat me uh in this particular case the lady so indeed she's a she's a very dangerous counter puncher and she had a good quote in regards to the impact of that loss she said it was needed for growth and i want people to recognize what growth looks like it's ugly it hurts but there's light at the end of the tunnel and it tells a story. Um, her story of coming back from that has been strong, Luke. She's one of the top pound for pound fighters in the game at the moment. This card, though, Luke got brutally depleted. We're supposed to see Richardson Hitchens versus Montana Love, which would have been a good, you know, two up and coming guys against one another. That's one of three fights that just got canceled in the last few days. So um, eventually, even I was going to say, eventually we're going to get a Michaela Mayer Baumgartner rematch because that fight was so disputed afterwards. But Michaela just moved up to 140, Luke. She said her body is naturally growing, so she went in that direction. They'll fight again. They'll fight again. All right. All right, Luke. Uh, Time for topic three. I want to get some quick combat sports reactions out of you from some of the things that have sifted like sand through the screen here on the combat sports news sphere. Let's go to your new UFC flyweight champion, Alexandre Pantoja. How do you pronounce his first name correctly, Luke? As I understand it, it's Alexandre. Alexandre Pantoja. Uh, we had sort of referenced it, or maybe we didn't, but it needs referencing. He was on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani talking about what this win means in terms of life-changing financials from where he was just recently. This is, if you didn't hear it, or even if you already heard it, it's time to hear it again. This is a crazy story. Let's listen in. And uh, my wife, he start to clean houses. And I'm starting to drive Uber, but this is like a I do this again if you if I need you know, because it's not just about like a myself. Just this is about my family, you know. This is about my kids, my two boys. Now both have a the better English, much better what I have, what I never gonna have. And uh, I give like a like a support for my kids, you know. And uh, I drive Uber. I I make some jiu-jitsu tournaments to help. And uh, after the fight with Roy Val, one week before that fight, I'm delivering Uber, Uber Eats. And uh, that's running. And uh, I'm sick. And when I go to the fight week, I'm very sick. And uh, I'm very scared to take the COVID again, you know. Uh-huh. And I just pray to to not be a COVID because it, it, I just have like a one month for for my bills, you know. And uh, and then when I make the 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 weights and everything's okay, I just say thank you for God because I I have my injury in my knee, I have my ACL like a completely broken, you know, and I have sick, and I, but when I get the money of the the the, the fight, you know. I know, okay, that, that's good. I have like a six month to leave, you know. But then God gave me the fight. I win the fight and I win the bonus. And uh, I can make my surgery. I, I can like a, 
relax for a couple months, you know, doing my surgery and recover good. And uh, I have like a the best wife of my side, you know, this woman give me all support I have and give me all the power to keep going, you know. And if you have like a one good wife, you can do everything. I mean, that's just, it's humbling as shit. Obviously his moment on Saturday was, you know, it, it touched you. It gave you the feels in so many real ways. But look, that's the current UFC fight structure on display, meaning they create the scenario where you can literally go from nothing to something and become that 1% overnight that sometimes it creates insane performances like Pantoja Moreno put on. Now in Pantoja's case, the reason I think he won it, Luke, was Will just constantly risking it all over and over again and pushing through. That's kind of what this structure, for better or worse, in a lot of case worse, creates that like rabid hunger to produce these all-time great fights. I'm so glad that he got over that hill and now he can reap the rewards. But like, think of think of the guys who who give all and can't get over that. Think of Josh Emmett. Think of that. It's like, damn, is this the right way? Well, I mean, it's quite obviously not the right way. We, we should just say what the truth is, which is that there is, I want to be very clear, not that we're suggesting anything other than that, but I want to, I want to make my opinion very not murky, right? There is not a thing in any way wrong with working for Uber Eats, of course, or your wife having to clean homes. Like there's nothing disreputable or you should be looking down upon it. Like, uh, we had a family friend, uh, in fact, uh, they lost their job and couldn't do anything else but you know uh, drive Uber to, so they didn't lose their apartment, you know. And it worked out for them. They now have a job on the other side. But like, there's nothing wrong with that. Or people who make it a career in general. Or, dude, I know this guy who moved here from Venezuela, and uh, uh, the only thing he really could do was drive Uber, and um, he does it 16 hours a day, every seven days a week. Like he's working himself, you know, to death trying to provide for his family. Like. I have great respect for people who hustle like that. That's a survivor's mentality that you saw. So I want to say, I, I'm, I'm about to say like what he shouldn't be doing. He should not be driving Uber, Uber Eats, but I don't want people to say that I'm saying this is some kind of disreputable job. That's quite the opposite. Like this guy is a great husband and a great father and he has a survivor's mentality and it's what kept him afloat. Rather, what I am saying is he's having to do all of that while being one of the very best fighters in his weight class at a time in a year where the UFC, that year he's talking about, they made $387 million in profit. Profit, right? They had that to go around. And he has to show up and deliver people nachos. And he has, his wife has to go in and clean people's bathrooms. And that's not disreputable. But why the yeah. fuck do they have to do that in a world where Dana White has a closet that is so full at his office, he doesn't even have to go home to pack complex went through his sneakers in his office and he i mean you could make a 40 minute reel out of how many times he said i've actually literally never worn those and i'm not against dana white being rich or having extraordinarily wealth but who the fuck in their right mind can look at the same week a revelation where dana white has a closet like this and that one of the very very best fighters on his roster literally one of the very best fighters on his roster doesn't know where the money is going to come from if he gets derailed before he can even make it to fight week because Uber Eats and cleaning houses is not enough. And think, and really truly think, that this is the best way to do things, yeah. that this is a fair share. 
going to the guys, putting the most on the line. You got to be out of your fucking mind to think something like that. That I mean, it's quite obviously this is the worst fucking way to be doing this. So, you know, BC, I mean, I, please chime in here. I just want to add, we're not in any way putting down people who got to work hard and yeah, put snowball grease that, in their totally. lives for a living. No, no, because I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, why the fuck is this guy working Uber Eats? Not because it's shameful, but because he's a fucking high-level pro athlete. Right, and he had been a high-level guy. And I'm not, I don't mean to do the evil empire UFC thing while all these guys suffer. Like, not every situation's the same. Not everybody manages their money that they do make the same. There's so many scenarios. But it was just a few years ago that I remember Jessica Andrade, after having been UFC champion, there was a headline that said she had to sell all of her memorabilia and the fight kits that she wore in the in the in the championship fights just to afford the next training camp. And and then you also saw Luke, I don't know if you remember that Jessica ended up posing nude for photos. I, I read a story in the past six months where she said she obviously deeply regret, I don't mean obviously, but because not every you get my point. She regrets it. She felt forced into it. And looking back in that time, she said she was willing to get exploited and knew she was doing something that she didn't want to because she had no, literally no other way in that moment to kind of afford the lifestyle you need to be at your peak, to be able to win these fights. And that's where the, that's where the system's broken. That's where the structure's broken, you know, and, 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 and so many fighters on the way up in all combat sports have to juggle sometimes full-time jobs. Right. I see it even on the showbox level where guys are like, you know, full-time manual labors, but mm -hmm. you know, if they can win this fight, they can get to the title level and they can do it full-time. Dude, a guy like Pantoja was like already past that already there. To, so to see this struggle, it's, yeah, it is rough, Luke. It's it's pretty damn rough. Um, what I loved about that complex interview was not just every pair of Dana's like, I've never worn those. I've never worn those. And it became yeah. a montage. That would, he would mix in a lot. That was a gift from this famous person. And I'd never fucking be caught dead in those. So it was like one after yeah. another of like, oh, yeah. Only if I never again, worn those, I never would. She, like, does Dana White have a right to be rich? Yes, of course. Of course. He has a right to be fabulously wealthy. Like, I don't really take issue with any of that. But what I am saying is if the company that he is running in the year where one of their very best fighters is like living hand to mouth and they made $387 million in profit, you have to be fucking deranged to think that the fighters are getting an equitable share. You have to be completely out of your mind. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Luke, George St. Pierre, what, he had breaking news during International Fight Week from the standpoint that he'll be grappling in a UFC fight pass invitational in the future. So a lot of fun fantasy matchmaking. If you get down like that, I know you do. I don't tend to get excited about these Luke, but the matchups are interesting that are being thrown around. And then people ask GSP himself. And by people, I believe it was Ariel saying, uh, who would be your preferred opponent for this type of spectacle? Let's listen in. And many guys that could be an, an option that there are guys that are, uh, veteran fighters get, that have a good grappling background. I'm talking about maybe the Diaz brothers could oh. be uh, could be a guy. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm a competitive guy, and I, uh, something like that. Maybe I think the fans will will want will want to see, or it could be a, someone that is active. You know, right now that is currently active. Uh, I don't know, uh, Usman, Covington, something, someone like this. Um, you know, it depends. I, I want to give the, I think it's up to to the audience to choose who they would like to see. And I think it needs to be a formidable opponent too, like someone that is, is from a grappling background. I, I'm, I'm not really an interest on fighting someone who's more like a, from a, only a striking background.
Luke, I saw a lot of fans say uh, Habib was their choice, but doesn't this just feel like a tease, though? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't it's just like a tease. It's like a, we should have no. seen these guys fight in the MMA cage. I don't know. I'd still love to see them compete uh, in grappling. Right. I actually think that's a great idea. But I will say, I saw like, for example, this is one of the problems with like trying to get MMA fighters to do grappling. Which you know, Saint Pierre's a black belt and a very good one. But even then, like folks, you know, you got to appreciate like the guys who do this professionally are you know they're gonna toy with guys like saint pierre so you have to find the right like level of competition and so for example i saw gilbert burns being like hey i'd love to do it and i'm like dude gilbert burns was like a multiple time black belt world champion he's gonna roast saint pierre like no i don't want to see that at all so the nick diaz one is the one that i like the most i actually feel yeah. like that's a really good one I mean, that could be a fun spectacle just because it's two, you know, huge names. Dude, no, no, no. Nick is real good on the ground. Well, dude. obviously, excellent. but, you know, I don't I guess I, I guess I'm I'm putting out there, Luke, that when I look at these matchups, it's not necessarily about like the competitive side of the grappling and who would win. It's just sort of like, oh, wow, they're doing this thing. Like, could that make me care about it? Maybe. I don't know. I, Yeah, that's just me. I, I got white belt. I'm on mine. Luke, you know that um, got my mind on my money and a white belt knowledge of MMA on my mind there. Uh, but GSP is going to grapple whether you care or not. Uh, maybe he'll grapple with Coach Craig, Luke, and then then the cameras will follow them to the uh, Hakkasan afterwards for um, no spares Coach, for all. Coach Craig would sub him in under five minutes, like under three maybe, you know. Okay, okay. Uh, Luke, so here's the deal. When, when, we, when we debated the in-cage face-off between Israel Adesanya and a victorious Drikas Duplessis. And obviously it spilled into, into the race elements of it. And, you know, I'm, we talked about it the other day. I made a quick editorial on that, some of the reaction there. Thanks, everybody, who was nice. But um, the basis of my, of my issues with Izzy did center upon the idea of the look of that situation, the language that he chose, I get why, but it, it's sort of that. But also, Luke, some of the whole idea of pot and kettle. Here's this. Well, I'll explain it better when we look back on UFC history on the pre-fight embedded sort of documentary series of when Adesanya first won the middleweight championship by knocking out Robert Whitaker and some criticisms he had about uh, Big Rob there about being raised in New Zealand, but moving his life and becoming a champion in Australia. Let's let's take a look. Unlike Whitaker, Israel Adesanya is a longtime resident of Auckland. He takes issue with the self-proclaimed Kiwi visiting from across the ditch. He's completely Australian. He disowned New Zealand in a way. I live in Auckland, and Auckland's my home. New Zealand's my home, and Australia's his home. There's a line in the sand, and you're on that side, you know, I'm on this side. So if you're on the other side, the other side. I don't have to prove my New Zealand heritage. <laughs> you can go back and look at my interviews. I am so proud of my New Zealand heritage and the strength I, I, I draw from my Māori side. Like, it's, it's there, you can see it, and I'm very proud of that. But I live in Australia, I was raised in Australia, my kids were born in Australia, my passport's Australian. <laughs> but I'm, I'm proud of both. I don't have to pick one. Screw you. <laughs> so, Luke, here's the thing. I can't just say, isn't that exactly what DDP did to him? Because 
the whole point of the way that Usman and Adesanya took umbrage with the original comments from Duplessis was obviously they're deter they are interpreting a deeper meaner behind that, and that's what's fueling this larger debate on race and what with GDP trying to spin, you know, stir it up or whatever to begin with, or was Adesanya's counter just about the mental warfare and the build to this fight? But that is exactly what DDP did to him. And it's not different than what Leon Edwards did to Bisping from winning the championship and saying, Michael moved to the U.S. to do that. You know, I did it in the U.K., even though he's not even from that country. Can we shut up about this after well, all? That doesn't, that doesn't make Izzy look great. It doesn't make him look great. Well, here's what I would say. It doesn't make, to your point, it doesn't make Izzy wrong about the DDP thing in my mind, but it makes him wrong about Whitaker. Like, it's like that, that to me is like, you're right. Like Whitaker's right. Like I don't have to prove that I'm New Zealand or that I have New Zealand roots or that I'm proud of them. I don't have to pick one. He's right. He is very right. He doesn't have to do that. That's totally true. Uh, and so I don't understand exactly the whole Maori, New Zealand, Australian thing very well, but it does appear on his face to be quite contradictory uh, from Izzy. So I can say that, but it's still like nobody should be second guessing anyone else's attachment to places they're from or represent. NBC, I actually really take issue with the Leon Edwards Bisping one because it's like, dude, I remember when Bisping was on the come up, the, the fucking idea he was going to be champion staying in the UK at that time was just absurd. There weren't yeah. the people around him. It was, there was not going to be the infrastructure. It's just nonsense. Like, the real way to say it is like, so for example, should Leon Edwards be proud that he stayed in the UK and became champion in that way? Yes, of course. But the reason that there exists a UK infrastructure for guys to stay is in not like totality, but in big part because of guys like Michael Bisping, because yeah. of guys being able to create this buzz and foundation and like show a path. And the idea that that was going to come from the UK, and granted, he got the title in what 2015 or 16 or so. You know, yes, by that point, there was there were some better gyms, but on his come up, no, like it wasn't going to happen. Like, why are we taking this from him? It drives me nuts. I hate it. Yeah, I mean, look, it, the, the race element does change the comparison to some degree, depending on how you interpret it. And I do have to say, us being so. I guess honest and open and trying to properly debate this based on how well we can understand it from where we come from has led to some of our own MK listeners reaching out to me, telling their story, people that, that, that live in South Africa actually, but were born in other African countries and, and just sort of saying, Luke, that hearing DDP say the comments he did and the voice he did, you know, definitely stung them and reminded them of, of, of you know, some, some awful instances and, and experiences they had. And, and I never want to look over that. And also some people have said, and it could be true. This could be just Izzy just trying to stir things up himself and just kind of come back and, and get himself fired up to beat this guy. And if he needs this angle Luke, to do that um, in that regard, it's all going to conspire together to make this a very big fight. But some of this is, does seem pot and kettle. Like who cares what, like, Luke, do people really get on you for, for, for leaving India and never looking back? You know what I mean? Just, no, you know, but who like cares BC, where like you live here's, BC, here's a question for you. My daughter speaks Spanish as well. She speaks English. Is my daughter Colombian? Um, I mean, like, we were well, we can give her citizenship like tomorrow. It's not that hard. Like, is she Colombian? Like, probably in ways most Colombians would recognize, maybe not, you know, maybe not. Yeah. Um, but I always tell her, you know, she always asks, like, you know, we like we talk like, you know, where am I from? What am I? Like in these sort of like fun little ways. And I always tell her, you 
you are as American as you are Colombian in my mind. And I treat her that way. I don't want to deprive her of that identity. So in the end, people will make up their own mind. But people who live in two worlds, it's not easy to navigate all of them. And I just feel like if people say they are from a place and they live there, you know, give it to them. Give Look, to we're them. global citizens. All right. I think the closer yeah. we can get to that idealism helps to some degree. Um yeah, it's just, I don't know, Luke. I don't really. It's complicated. Dude, identity is complicated. People think it it's is. a neat category. It's not if, so neat. And it does fuel fight storylines. Like, you know, th this was fine. I mean, uh, but Mikey brought up a good point, Luke. Do you think that Cain Velasquez got kind of forgotten by the UFC when originally he was, you know, first, <laughs> yeah. first Mexican descent champion, but then Brandon Moreno is the first Mexican born. So suddenly it's like Kane never happened, but yeah, it was weird. Dude, this is weird too. Like I've told, I've said this story before. I didn't occur to me back then, but my wife would hear Kane Velasquez speak Spanish. I don't know how it is today, but like back when he was a champion and she said it was like nails on a chalkboard, like his accent was terrible. And she said Fabricio Verdum spoke much better Spanish, like way, way better. You know, and so like that was a weird thing just for I think other Mexicans to hear was like, you know, this this guy with like a clearly American accent sort of working through the language. But, you know, Mexican-Americans are one audience that's that's kind of distinct from Mexicans. It's kind of distinct from the rest of America. There's a lot of different oh, identities. Sure. Let, let people be who they are, man. Let them be. I who mean, they are. deep in the boxing history, right? Like there's always been. You, there's always been built-in rivalries if a great Mexican-born star like Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. takes on a, a rising Mexican-American like Oscar De La Hoya in their two fights, which had such, like, hatred and you know mm -hmm. in, in, in there because it was like, well, here's a real Mexican against a guy who's, you know, leaning into the American side. I mean, so Hudo's been through that battle too, Luke. Um, I mean, I guess it it, it, it works. It, it raises the, the attention, but I would like to see DDP Izzy slide deeper into who's going to win this fight and why let's get into that luke all right yeah all fair right. enough i mean i'm a little sick of this too but uh it is part of the fight especially in boxing too where it's like mexican versus puerto rican and everyone is just you know identityed out it gets it makes it good but it makes it old too you know uh luke speaking of boxing staying with these headlines here and our reactions undisputed lightweight champion recently moved up to 140 pounds devin haney arrested yesterday in hollywood on felony gun charges for carrying a concealed weapon. So he was in the backseat of a car he owned, driven by friends on the way to a popular rooftop Catch LA Hollywood restaurant. The driver told police officers, according to the report, that Haney was packing heat. They found a semi-automatic weapon released on $35,000 bond. He has a court date next month. If the felony charge was prosecuted to the full extent of the law, there is a one-year prison sentence, but that does appear unlikely here, Luke. Um, how do we react to this? It, it's not a overly like aggressive and dangerous scenario. It's not great either. It's a felony offense, Luke. So what do you do here? Listen, I'm not going to sit here and beat these guys up. This is America. People roll with guns. Like, you know, I don't think that's great, but it's the reality. This is the only thing I would ask. Like, this is the thing that drives me nuts about firearms people. Cause I've been around firearms my whole life. I don't, I don't know if people understand this. You can 100% be like a super hardcore pro firearms person and also be pro safety <laughs> like they're not in any way mutually exclusive whatsoever and in fact some of the most enthusiastic firearms people i've ever met in my life were very good about it so all i really ask is one of two things if you're gonna have someone who's strapped because what happened was the cops found it in the car and no one took ownership of it here's what i would say put someone in your entourage who is allowed to carry 
right? And have them carry it. So there's no fucking question about it. More to the point, get security. If you need, if you're Devin Haney, you can afford security, right? BC, I'm not saying he's Deontay Wilder rich who also had this issue, right? But if you're young and you feel like someone needs to be strapped wherever you go, fine. I get that to an extent anyway. Make it a professional. Just do BC. This is all I'm asking. Professionalize the gun use, yeah. either by having someone who's got a right to carry for whatever reason or having someone who's got a right to carry and is designated as security personnel. Simple, easy, done, legal. How hard is that? How hard is that? Not 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 that hard, Luke. I don't I don't know. I don't know. It's tough to see this, but I get it to some degree. Uh well, more Haney news, and it ties into Teofimo Lopez, Luke, who is apparently not retired. Uh, the head of the WBO put out a tweet. I couldn't basically, believe this shit. Basically saying the game is over, that he has talked to Lopez, and Lopez will now keep the title and come back. No one really believed, Luke, that he was retired. Some had had pondered whether that had something to do with his custody hearing with his ex-wife. I don't know. But Haney's in a great spot, as we know, coming off the disputed win over Lomachenko, because Devin Haney is a network and promotional free agent, and one of the big-time suitors Looks to be Teofimo Lopez, who tweeted, yo, real Devin Haney, since you were so quick to jump in the mix for my belt, let's make the fight happen so the world can see who is about that action. And no, you will not be the A-side. I hold the king title of the division as well. So don't run away, bitch. Devin Haney quote tweeted and said, let's do it. The, con the conversation would continue with Teofimo tweeting, came out of retirement because the next move was for Haney to fight sorry-ass sorry Arnold Barboza for my title. F that. <laughs> I'm tired of helping this kid be something that he's not, and that's a real champion. Well, Haney would quote tweet that message and say, yo ho, yo -ho ass. ass never retired in the first place. Let's see if you really want the smoke. I'm going to be 140 champ regardless. You asked for $20 million last time my pops talked to you. So, Luke, for those who don't know, Teofimo Lopez is still aligned and under contract with Top Rank slash ESPN. There had been some belief that Haney was headed to DAZN to take on Regis Progre immediately for a 140-pound title. Uh, what do you make of this little back and forth? You'd, you'd love the fight, right, first and foremost? You'd, you'd love it? You'd love it, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm amazed at people's... Um not knowing the difference between T-O and T-O-O, but neither here nor there. I think my biggest pet peeve on Twitter, BC, and I know this is not what you asked in any capacity whatsoever. I'm just going to say it just the same. If you don't know how to conjugate the word, someone is not biased. Someone is biased. B-I-A-S-E-D. You have to conjugate it. Right. All right. So don't Look, accuse they don't do someone that in of boxing. being biased. Huh? <laughs> in combat sports, we don't really conjugate. We just put the message out there, right? So Yeah. Here's what I'll say. First of all, wow, Teofimo Lopez, shortest retirement ever. And by the way, he didn't give up all of his titles. I think he's keeping which one? BCWBO, I think, is the one he's keeping. That's the only one he has, Luke, Teofimo. He just won a 140-pound title. I thought, he, I thought he gave one of them back already. Well, whatever the fuck. It doesn't matter. Either way, I was going to say this. I love the fight. I love it. What is there not to like about this fight? Two young guys, different styles, different ways of approaching the game. Uh, good uh, style matchup in particular. Sign me up. It's a great yeah, fight. It, I love everything I mean, about certainly, it. Certainly it'll come down to money and if Haney will re-sign with ESPN. But Lopez did quote tweet the yo-ho-ass message and said, what, 20 million? I didn't even... Uh... 
broken English, broken English, let alone put a price on it. Start losing weight and we'll figure out the rest so we can give the fans a dream that will take Ooh. over the sport of boxing using both of their nicknames creatively. But Luke, just the day before, by the way, Teofimo had tweeted at uh, Lomachenko. Did he? Who tweeted that? Was it? No, it was it was Shakur Stevenson who tweeted at Lomachenko yes. trying to get him into a big fight now yep. that Haney might be leaving. Either way, we want the best to fight the best. This is playing into that. We'll see which direction Haney goes. Uh, Luke, how about this? So we remember the PFL, which has playoffs coming up, had a somewhat controversial situation with Natan Schultz in the fight with his teammate. Schultz was supposed to advance to the playoffs after winning in a fight that lacked action. Then we found out the PFL suspended both fighters and took the much more TV-friendly Shane Burgos of UFC fame and plugged him in the playoffs. Natan Schultz had originally called out Francis Ngannou saying, look, if you're the you know PFL head of players organization, do something about it. Apparently it's been crickets. Here's a tweet from Schultz or an IG post saying, I am very unsatisfied with the decision that was taken by the PFL to favor Burgos's entry. Oh, this was his original thing about Ngannou. And Luke, he would go on to say, um, basically, where are you, Francis? Luke, Francis has Tyson Fury coming up in a fight that the PFL is not involved in. Um, what responsibility do you think Francis has after that big PFL MMA announcement to actually, this was part of the onus to be fair in him leaving the UFC and getting into a more fighter friendly deal. He's the, he's the union rep, so to speak for a union. And that's not even alive, but should he step in here or should he be like, yo, Natan, fuck off. I don't fight there till next year. Yeah, I think he should. I mean, you know, responsibility. I don't know what the word would be there. Like legal responsibility. He has none is what I'm aware of, but like, you know, making everything about fighter rights and then picking an organization because it was like fighter friendly and then they do all this shit like i don't he, it's not his problem to fix but i don't think he should be silent bc right that's my only issue just don't be silent like say something and the fact that he said nothing is kind of not great uh yeah i was trying to find the uh updated exactly what schultz said this time to call him out but BC, yeah I, I don't know if we're gonna make it uh at the pace we're going because Mikey's got to get out of here at 120, my guy. Yeah, yeah, we're going to bang. We're going to get out of this. Uh, so, Luke, right, Schultz right. said he's still training for the playoffs, is, was my point here. And that's why oh. he's calling out Ngannou to do something to fix it. But he's not scheduled for the playoffs. We have found out the new dates from the PFL. August 18th and the 23rd, they will be at the theater at MSG in New York City. August 18th will give us in the main event a heavyweight playoff bout with number two, Henan Fajeda, against the crochet king, Maurice Green. Larissa Pacheco, your defending women's featherweight champ, is in the co-main against Olena Kolesnik. Goitsov at heavyweight in a playoff against Jordan Heiderman. And a reminder that the couple of those divisions were so ravaged by USADA, Luke or ravaged by a lack of USADA that the PFL recently signed. And on the 23rd, we'll get Clay Collard, your number one lightweight seat against Shane Burgos, the aforementioned, and OAM against Bruno Miranda and the co-main, along with Sada Busi against Carlos Leal. And how about this for the all-Magomed matchup? Magomed, Magomed, Karamov against Magomed Yumalatov. Yumalatov. There's a lot of Magomed going on there. Uh, I know you don't care. Do you care? You don't care. Do you care? No. I mean, I, I like Clay Collard. I'm interested in his stories. A couple other good fights at 155. Shane Burgos is a fun fighter, obviously. But uh, no, I don't really give a shit. I mean, listen, the Ask Jeeves cage. I've been waiting for Francis yeah. to get into the Ask Jeeves cage. 
All right, I'll put this car into drive now, Luke, and we'll go to the one time per week that we humbly get on our knees and take what's coming, Luke. It's called Dead Wrong. <laughs> Luke, we say a lot of shit into the microphone. Sometimes we're wrong, but at least we give you the chance. But you better come hard. And you better come with receipts. This is Owen from the Netherlands. He says, hey, guys, the two of you have some wonderful idiosyncrasies that we are all pretty familiar with by now. Luke, for example, cannot contain himself to just marinate you and his knowledge any chance he gets. You want a lecture on DDP's Dutch ancestors and how they fucked up South Africa? Luke's your guy. BC, on the other hand, constantly and inexplicably goes back to the well of Kobe Bryant is deceased Middle dog is not elite and Justine Kish shat herself in the cage. He also represents or reps Lithuania to a fault to a grammatical fault. This time at one hour and one minute of last Friday, BC referred to unbeaten welterweight. Imantis Staniosis as his Lithuanian brethren. BC that's dead wrong. Brethren is plural and Staniosis is just one dude. I know Luke has been calling you CBS sports brethren for years, but that doesn't make that shit right. Please never change, guys. Not too much, though. Owen from the Netherlands. So, Luke, the pedantic police here are telling me that uh, that was a plural reference of brethren. He's still Lithuanian, Luke. Who cares? You know what I would say is when Chameleon Air told, called Paul Wall his brethren, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't fact check him. You know what I'm saying? I believed him. Yeah. Well, okay. Was I wrong? I guess I was, Luke. I'll take the L. Thank you, Owen, for playing. Let's go over to JB. He says, good day, MK. Don't think I forgot about you, BC. During episode 463 at an hour 13, our beloved factory town fight commenter mentioned Tai Tuivasa admitted to rushing his last fight due to wanting more money for his daughter during the holidays. Well, BC, we all know you look at the world through those 125-pound women's flyweight-tinted glasses. But that child next to Ty, that's his only child. And it's a son named Carter Tuivasa. Ultimately, this maintains your title to the best director chair, tumbling, mailbag sniffing, dead wrong bloviator of our era, chairs, JB. Uh, yeah, Luke, apparently I mixed up the... You ever notice like your parents or your aunts and uncles, once they get past age 60, they can't identify the sex anymore of an animal? Every like male is suddenly a female to them? I apparently did that early on, Luke, early onset. Sorry, sorry. I haven't noticed that. Oh, watch closely, Luke. Next time you're around grandparents or great uncles or your parents, or your dad, you know, he'll be like, you know, your your female dog will run by that he's known for 10 years and be like, oh, look at him. He's so cute. And you're like, yo, dad, what's wrong? <laughs> okay, I'll be on the lookout. All right, thanks, JB. I guess I'm 0 for 2 to start off here. Let's hear from, uh, I believe this is Leo. He says, uh, at episode 462 at 14 minutes, Luke states that Volk, is making guys with significant height and reach advantages lose uh, yes. the distance mm -hmm. battle. He may be shorter, but Volk has had a reach advantage over every single one of his UFC opponents, except TKZ, who had a longer reach by a half inch. Luke, I thought you were the guy who cares about stats. Stick to the 35 and under line, you washed piece of shit. Love y'all. It's Leo. Yeah, that's fair. He is the shorter guy. I mean, you know, they... Max Holloway's arms got shorter as they measured him. So, like, whether Volkanovski literally has a less uh, reach advantage, I don't know. But certainly on paper, it's not quite true. Short, but, you know. Here's what's interesting. Volkanovski's greatness of late, Luke, has had a couple people make almost like Floyd Mayweather references in that regard. Both Floyd and Volk have deceptively long reaches 
and it's mm. been a key to their success. Like, like mm. Floyd is looked at as a smaller, right? Not heavy hitting guy, but that, that not only does he have an insane knowledge of, of commanding reach and playing chess, having that sneaky long reach is, is sometimes the difference looking big sequences, you know? I agree. No, we talked, we, I made that compare. Well, not the one you're making, but the Floyd Mayweather comparison on uh, the 290 <clears throat> post fight show. Yep. Luke, here's our final ones from JB. Good day, Team MK. I have the most pedantic, uncivilized, and idiotic dead wrong to submit. During episode 462 at an hour 17, Darth Thomas claims the greatest heavyweight in UFC history, Stipe Miocic, is 41. Unfortunately for Lieutenant Doucheflute, that's dead wrong. With Stipe's birthday being August 19th, 1982, that would make him 40. I know you're rounding up those numbers like you wish the bud tenders at your favorite local D.C. dispensary would do to your orders of sour bailbag kush. But details matter. Stipe's 40. You, my vaping comrade, are still a Dodge Omni. Cheers. Best regards, JB. You going to take that L? Uh, he will be 41 in a month, but I'll take the L. All right. Rook, we close with a fun segment. We're going to do a little MK Discord trivia. We have a message here from Captain V, listener of the show, says to Mikey, so I run the official MK Discord account. I'm running an MMA trivia. I'm curious how Luke and BC would do on the first iteration. So, Luke, I believe they have 14 questions in total. You and I are going to go head-to-head. There is a 15th if we need a tiebreaker. How we did this was Mikey independently asked you and I seven of them, half of them, and we will read the other half to each other in real time and keep updating the scorecard as we go along. I know we're going to do this in 28 minutes or less, so let me ask you this, Luke. What are the stakes? Did we get one from Mikey? Mikey, did the people put some stakes on this on this grill? All right, did they? Did they put some shrimp on the bobby? Didn't, yeah, they don't care. Much. They don't give a All shit. All right, Luke, you have to wear that DC hat on Monday, the whole show. Yeah, I don't you... care about that. Fine. All right, what do I have to do, Luke? You tell me. You got to blow Brett Okamoto. I mean, you just got to go would, over there. I and just, I just get wouldn't it done. do that. It's just not what I'm interested in, Luke. Okay. All right. All right. Well, maybe we won't get there. Uh, um, <laughs> so for for Luke, they say, here's what Mikey wants you to have to wear the the one love Bob Marley reggae hat the next time that it's we not going to fit my melon. I got a Tito size oh, melon. It's dude. just not going to work. I had I wore seven and five eights in high school and it's only gotten much bigger since then, dude. I've got okay. a I've got okay. a below. What, what size right. is this one that fits? That's like a nine you, and a half, I bet, Luke. That's what size does that say? I can't read it. Seven and seven eights. Yeah, we probably have the same size. I'm I'm not as you would say, I'm not doing a bit. Every every adult in my family on both sides has huge melons, Luke. Yeah. Huge. I mean, my head is I, you know, I look like I I've got some kind of special needs issue. I look terrible. So, you know. All right, Luke, we're going to ask the question. We're also going to reveal how we did on it. We've got 14 questions. I'm calling up the questions right now. And here we will begin. Do you want to alternate reading ours, Luke? I'll go with number one. Here we go. First one. Luke Thomas, question number one. Who has the most all-time consecutive UFC title defenses? Uh, all-time most consecutive UFC title defenses. Uh, that would be Anderson Silva. Uh, incorrect, Luke. Anderson's 10 was passed by my correct answer of Demetrius Johnson, who had 11 consecutive before the one championship trade. Uh, I believe John Jones might be able to equal that in terms of total title wins, Luke, but his reigns were all interrupted. So the one nothing BC 
after the first one. Go ahead, Luke. Ask me right. first. Uh, so the one this is I didn't they gave me this. So this one's pretty easy. Name all the current UFC champions. Okay. Uh vacant, vacant on Bantamweight and Featherweight on the women's side. Alexa Grasso is the 125er. Jean Wei is the 115. On the men's side, we can go Alexandre Pantoja at 125. Bantamweight is Aljamain Sterling. Featherweight at 145 is Alexander Volkanovsky. Mahachev at lightweight. Uh, Leon Edwards at welterweight. Izzy at middleweight. Vacant at light heavyweight. John Jones is the greatest of all time. That's a point for BC. Yes. Also, I got that one right as well. Okay. So our updated standings, Luke, two to one. I mean, Mikey is Mikey is counting the ones we've just done, but we've already done seven of these already. So I'm not sure how the point total is supposed to look. Oh, he's oh he's gonna add them up in real time. Oh, okay, I, I see. Okay, yeah, you Very know, good. we just we just had this conversation to kick off the segment, Luke. We just yeah, it's like, a weird way I, to do it, but uh, I don't like it. But you know, whatever it is, what it is. Well, Go what ahead what next, else please. would you do? How how else would you do it, Luke? Bring in Mikey. Uh, I mean, the, the thing I, I get it. You want to save it? They don't want to reveal the scores up front from the seven we've already done. I understand. Just I fucking ask the question. Just fucking ask the question. No, I was please. giving you more room to complain, Luke. Uh, you can have as long I'm as good. you want. I'm okay. All right. I'm okay. All right. Question number two on my list, Luke. Here we go. Rosnami Yunus has a KO loss in a title fight. Who beat her and how did it happen? Jessica Andrade slammed her on her head. That would be correct, Luke. I had the same answer correct. Ding, ding, ding. Our updated scoreboard. BC3. LT2. Luke, let's go to the second question on your list. Very good. Uh, GSP has only lost to two people. Name them. Okay. GSP has lost to BJ Penn and... No, wait. Okay, definitely Matt Sarah. Is it BJ Penn or Matt Hughes? Luke, I'm going to go with Matt Hughes and Matt Sarah are the only people that beat him because he beat BJ twice. Yes, the Mats. There you go. Correct. All right. Luke Thomas, I did also you got get that, that one right quote? as well. Yes, I got that one right. Four to three in real time. We'll go to the next one. Luke, Izzy Adesanya has had one split decision win in his UFC career. Who did that come against? Marvin Vittori. Correct, Luke. And I also got that right, but I was nervous about Yoel Romero. I thought that was a split decision in my mind, but I did say <laughs> it's Vittori a split decision. It is a split decision in your mind. Yeah, in my mind, because I gave it three to two to Romero and people still hate me for it. Your updated standings <laughs> are five to four. Luke, read me your third question. please. Third question. Who coached the fighter nicknamed Platinum to victory against Mickey Gall? Uh, that would be Latori Gonzalez. It's correct. It's correct. Yes. I also got that one correct as well. Okay, there you go. Coach Latori, uh, the miss look, he has made an honest woman out of her. Congratulations once again. She has made an honest man out of him. I would that say is a great point. Put that. that is Ocean's daddy right there. Luke, name the fighter who just wanted to bang. Let him bang, bro. Please. Julian Lane. Julian Ooh, Lane. he got it. Luke, I also got that correct. The updated standings are BC7, Luke 6. This is tighter than the junior prom right now, Luke. I'll go to my next question. No, no, Who no. Isn't the... it mine? Wait, 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 wait. Isn't it mine? Yeah, you're right. Thank you. You're Thank right. you. Fill in, please. Thank you. My bad. Okay, so question number four, correct? Question number four. Who has absorbed the most significant strikes in UFC history to date? That's a very interesting question. It would have to be have somebody who has been in there a shit 
load of time. So I'm gonna my two answers would be Max Holloway or Frankie Edgar. I have to pick one. I'm going to pick Luke. Max Holloway. That is correct. I also had it correct. So All so right. far so good. Eight All right, hit seven. me. Hit me. BC in the lead. Luke, who has the most leg kick finishes in UFC history? Edson Barboza. Correct. And you yeah. pull even in the standings, Luke. I had guessed Jose Aldo. And as soon as oh, like I said, almost said Aldo, I almost, but then Faber didn't go down. You know what I mean? Like Faber just yeah. kind of took it, right? Yeah. As soon as, as soon as he said uh, Barboza, I was like, damn. Eight to eight, Luke. Your next question, please. All right. BJ Penn lost twice to this fighter as a challenger for a UFC title. Who was it? Frankie Edgar. That is totally incorrect. It's oh, as a challenger. Frick, frick. It was. You you submitted it, fucker. You're off. Sorry. I got that one right. Go. Let's go. So it was what? Uh, George St. Pierre? St. Pierre. St. Pierre. Ah, oh, man. I went too quickly right there, Luke. Premature. Premature. Sorry, Pre-jack bro. on me. Updated score. Nine to eight LT. Wow. This made a turn for the worse here. It was like our free throw contest. Remember that? Yeah. The one that never made the light of day. Luke, this fighter appeared in season five of Cobra Kai, barely had any lines, but he will still, quote, beat yo ass. Who is he? Tyron Woodley. Correct. And so did I. I believe I should have gotten a bonus point for mentioning that his name was Sensei Odell in that show, Luke. But I oh, don't. I did not know that. I would have missed that one. Uh, 10 to 9 about... LT. Wow, this thing's hot right now, Luke. What do you And got I got to tell you, I, I haven't seen it because I don't care about the lives of teenagers. All right. I don't find teenagers. You're not interesting. You're such okay, an old man, Luke. I mean, I'm All sure right. if I checked your search history, there'd be a few teens that fell in there. No, All I'm right. not into that. I'm not All into right. that. All right, I'm Larry, go ahead. Go to God. You, you might find some, you might find some milfs in that search history. I'm just <laughs> saying it's possible. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, question number six, BC. This one's a hard one. Who was the first UFC women's flyweight champion? Who did she beat to win the title? Two-parter. That would be the ultimate fighter champion, Nico Montano, who defeated late replacement Roxanne Matafuri. Very good. I got it right, Who once rolled with Mrs. Thomas. You know what I'm saying, Luke? She did. Yeah, several times. Uh, So we both got that right. 11 to 10, Luke in the lead. I've got one more question, and then you have one more question, right? So we got... Correct. I got to get both right. And you've got to get one wrong here. Let's see what happens. Luke, who was the first UFC lightweight champion? Jens Pulver. Damn. Not only did you get that right, Luke, I had said I had panicked and said Pat Militich. And then as soon as Mikey said Jens Pulver. He was Pulver, welterweight. I know, but I thought it was one of those scenarios where it was called lightweight back then, but it was really welterweight weight because there was not oh, enough small I weight see. classes. Yeah. Uh, so I got that wrong, Luke. You now have a two-point lead entering the final question, which means you have already won, but let's play it out. Uh, this one, actually, I feel like you can get some redemption. You can get some redemption. Uh, okay, Conor McGregor threw a dolly at a bus. That we know. Name three fighters on the bus. Ray Borg. Rose Namajunas. Uh, sorry you you uh you zeroed out on my screen do it again michael chiesa question mark correct you got him so did i 
Very good. Very good. All right. So the final score, 13 to 11. I win again. So Luke, what's my punishment? You didn't agree. You didn't, you didn't stipulate. You didn't put it out there. I'm going to call Brett Okamoto and we're going to figure this out. <laughs> All right. How about the, instead Brett has to appear on Monday show, Luke? Uh, I don't mind that. That's fine. That's fine. If you, if you can figure out, if you, if you know. I, oh, wait, that's if, not a punishment to bring my old friends. Yeah. On, you know? <laughs> I don't know. You know what? I'll make you eat a hot wing next time we're in studio or some shit. I don't know. Just... All right. No fellatio, but thank you very much. Thank you, Mikey, for setting this up in our. Hey, MK... thanks to the discord folks. Yeah. Yeah. Captain V over there at the MK discord overall final score, 12 for Luke, 10 for BC. That's your fantastic show for today. I mean, how good is this show, right? Two hours. This is the best two hours of your week. Guaranteed. It's a long show. It's definitely a long show. In all the good ways, Luke. Right? All, all the, the phallic ways. ways. Yeah. There all the good go. ways. What a what a fallacy this show is. Uh you can get Showtime right now, 30 days free. We got Showtime Championship Boxing back with a bang this weekend and so much more. Check that out. Buy our merch fantastically over here at morningcombat.store. Luke, what would you say honestly is your favorite piece of MK merch that you own? What's the if you had to throw them all away except for one, which one would you Bomber have? jacket. Bomber jacket. Black or green? Ooh. Green because it's military green. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to keep the green, I'm going to keep the black. Yeah, that's great. That's probably our best shit right there. We have a drug rug that's tremendous as well. I, I would love to get Izzy in studio and then him just call you the N-word like six times just to see what you it would do to you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I know. Look, I'm just a book. Bo- yeah, I'm just a PO. Yeah, I'm just all that stuff. Um, <laughs> Thank you, hilarious. Mikey Mormile, for having our back, as always, not just in today's show, but in life right there. Look, Mikey's one of those warriors, right? I mean, that guy will he go is- to... Ride or die. Ride or die. He will go to bat for the brand, for the MK. I mean, Gaff's got an MK tattoo on his arm. How come no one talks about that? I don't know. I don't know. That's actually a good question. But Mikey is definitely in the trenches. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The other guy who got a tattoo on his body of MK just disappeared off the side of the earth. Does that mean he's incarcerated, Luke? Where is Damien the Donk? Probably in a van down by the river, right? No, he's like Somewhere. a single dad. I'm hoping that guy's held it together and that maybe he just hates us in like a in like a JP type way, Luke. That'd be nice, you know? Because we can fix that. We can fix that. Yeah. Do we want to fix that? I mean, with JP, yes. With Damien, I'm... So. All right, final question about our donks. This will end Friday's show. If we had a WWF In Your House MK contest and the winning donk got to spend a weekend living in, sleeping in the guest room and being in the house for a weekend but you get to pick the donk luke non-fighter non-broadcaster i'm talking about an mk donk and you can't pick oteal either all right give me a real mk donk who is spending the weekend in your house well the answer would be w kamal bell but if we're talking about non-famous people non-famous people non-famous people Ooh, boy that is a good one i'm like yeah give me the lead singer portugal the man i'll have john hang out in my office all weekend yeah that's a big one i would say like you know dude average joe art has been kind of on fire recently obviously um, it has to be Appy, right? Because you don't know if you're going to wake up and your house is going to be on fire or he's going to be drunk by you know six. Okay, well, that's not he's reason to pick him, Luke. That's not a reason to pick him. Sort of in a in a in a like a watch this despair of a human man just you know collapsing on itself like a dying star or something. What about Doc? Was it Doctor Mike, the guy from Arizona with the tattooed wife from the live show? Was that they Dr. were very Mike? friendly, but they were very they were very friendly normal people like. I'm kind of looking for, like, if I'm going to have an MK donk, I want to see, you know, 
I want to see some weirdness, if I can be honest with you. All right. I'd like to extend the conversation to MK fan couples. And Luke, you'd have to be the meat and a donk sandwich in your own bed. Oh, this is this is great reality TV. And okay, it's we can, it's we can end tough. the show. We're good. We're good here. This is better this than is... tough, Luke. All right. For everyone I mentioned, thank you. Uh, thank you to the listeners out there. Enjoy this weekend, guys. Take care of your mental health. Put it first. It's not selfish, right? Take charge. Take control. We love you. But, you know, hoes are a different breed. They're never loyal. We're out of here. Thank you. <laughs>